0: I, always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subtractive Banker, and what matters most to me, my friends. Allow me to introduce my two co-hosts co-host for today. He's a mind-reading, shape-shifting incarnation of chaos.
1: It's P.T. McNiff. How's it going, P.T.? We live and die in the shadows for those we hold close and for those we never meet. It's going well, <laughs> Jen. How are you?
0: It's <laughs> so cryptic. Uh, it's, it's going great. Uh, and... His life will always matter more to me than my own. It's Greg Cass. How are you doing, Greg?
2: Our lives are the sum of our choices. We cannot (laughs) escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is going to cost you
0: dearly. That was a really good reenactment of the trailer. (laughs) <laughs> it was that's like also pt
2: stole my quote and so oh, no. i quickly oh you had to
1: pivot <laughs> good work well, we well, and i feel bad i was gonna go with no one is safe from phineas freak but i was like that's mm. really obscure <laughs> when when he when luther starts referring to himself as phineas freak
0: Spoiling. um yeah the more we do this opening in this way, the more ris- the higher risk, I think it's going to be of, like <laughs> dropping an actual spoiler. <laughs> so we'll have to pay attention, keep an eye on that. Sure. Um, so if it hasn't become apparent already, we've assembled this highly trained team today, question mark, to break down the newest Mission Impossible film, Dead Reckoning Part One. So if this is your first time listening to us, we'll have a brief section at the beginning designed for folks who haven't seen the film yet, and then we will very clearly sound the alarm when we're about to get into spoilers for the rest of the episode. Uh, but first, since we haven't had done a proper movie news check-in in a little while, but there was huge news <laughs> since we last recorded. Uh, and that is that Hollywood is basically, or the actors specifically, shutting Hollywood down. Uh, SAG-AFTRA, the um, the Actors Guild has officially gone on strike. Uh, I was watching, I've been following the coverage you know it's it's and it's been it's been fiery and actually like seems to already have gained a lot more attention than when the writers went on strike which I have mixed feelings about on the one hand I'm (laughs) happy because that probably means that like you know we're gonna make some progress potentially because the actors are kind of making a bigger dent and making life harder for the studios but on the other hand I'm like oh but like no one cares about writers (laughs) so (laughs) has anyone else been following this news or want to want to jump in with what's going on
2: uh, yeah, I followed all the news too. And it's like, wow, Fran Drescher is awesome. <laughs> like, who knew? Like, I haven't thought about Fran Drescher in 20 years. And that's no disrespect because she's killing it. And I had no idea she was president of the union right now. Right. And and that she would be such a leader in that. Um, my silly bit of news on in this is I actively saw the results of the strike. Quite by accident, uh, which is um, I was driving through a part of my hometown. Uh, I don't know why I need to be like mysterious. I live in Melrose, Massachusetts, <laughs> and whoop. there was a full street decked out for Halloween. And I was like, what is going on? And it we it, I mean, like good suburbanites, we checked Facebook and a lot of nosy neighbors pointed out it was Beetlejuice 2 was in town to shoot scenes for what would have been um, some kind of Halloween setting. Um, And uh, lo and behold, somebody posted on Facebook, uh, get over there now if you want to see it, because it's coming down. And so this whole street had been lined out to make it look like a New England fall and make it look like Halloween. And then the next morning, uh, they stripped it all down. Um, I, I think people maybe people aren't from areas where filming happens regularly, but you see the little signs that point the way to what actors call base camp, right. And where the crew and the actors are going to park. That was all set up with trailers over at the high school um, that my son and I saw. And then it was like, poof, it's all gone. And, you know, look, uh, it was kind of a funny thing to stumble upon, but it reminded me like this is a huge deal and all these productions are spending a lot of money and we're ready to film the next morning and then just had to tear it all down, presumably throw it in a box and save it for six months from now or whatever. But it was a good reminder to me that this isn't just like some people not driving to a studio in Hollywood on a given day, that mm-hmm. this is a massive undertaking that, um, you know, I think is, is warranted because the studios have to be doing better than they're doing.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I, uh... I think that they're, you know, they're fully justified in trying to uh, get a a better deal. Some of the it's obviously positioning for for the different negotiating sides. But the stories that have been coming out uh, about what some of the uh, proposals were from the producers, um, the sort of big one that was getting the most attention was uh, that they wanted all sort of background actors so like extras uh, to show up for a day. Get scanned, and then their likeness could be used in perpetuity uh, a- across any production that the pro- that the producers were working on. Uh, so someone would get paid for a day, and then their their image would be used forever. Um, now, you know, it, again, that's information that came from what the you know the other side. Um, so that sounds really bad. Is that exactly what the proposal was? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know g- good for them. Uh, appreciate the solidarity between the actors and the writers there's uh you know here in la there's picket lines you know, in lot, you can go to a picket line pretty easily uh if you want to outside of the various studio buildings um and even though this was the week it ratcheted up to like you know low to mid 90s uh they were out there uh all day uh making it happen and that's really good and um if you didn't see it uh there was a, uh, a anonymously sourced um uh Uh, Yeah, unnamed producer, which is what anonymous means, but unnamed producer who was quoted in a news article saying, like, we're just going to, like, wait them out until the writers lose all their houses. Uh, And then and then they'll come crawling back. Uh, And uh, then Ron Perlman uh, went on Twitter and said uh, he was going to find their house and and come get them, (laughs) Um, which I think he had to walk back because it was a direct (laughs) threat to someone's like, you know bodily harm but it was awesome because it was ron perlman and i believed him
0: (laughs) oh that's amazing i feel like you know he does usually play a type and so it's Hmm. happy happy to know that that's partly at least partly it sounds like inspired by his actual persona (laughs) in real life that's great um i would be very afraid of ron perlman that's were I a studio executive. (laughs) Uh, Well, um,
2: I'll just point out the other silly thing I saw basically as I joined threads was the fact that Disney held a red carpet or maybe it was a purple carpet for Haunted Mansion. And they just had the characters walk it because none of the actors. I saw that too. So it was Mickey and Minnie and Maleficent walking a red carpet. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's not gonna work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, And we had, uh, I think the first version of this was the cast of Oppenheimer mid-premiere, wow. right? Like, they showed up at the premiere and stayed for, like, 20 minutes, and then, like, the clock struck starting the strike, and they were like, we're out of here! Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and, and that story, like, g- gave me a little window into how certain people can feel about it, I guess, because I did see comments online where they were like, this was so disrespectful to the fans, <laughs> the, the fans of Oppenheimer who were excited about this that the actors just got up and left and it's like oh okay I guess you that's your sympathies as is like the the people who are mad at like players on sports in, in in various professional sports if they ever go on strike or get locked out because you know they make millions of dollars and it's like right but the people who make billions off of them are not sharing as much as they should so it's you know it's not as uh, universally popular I guess. As, as one may think.
0: Uh, but what, what about the
2: Haunted Mansion fans? What, who, who's <laughs> asking questions about them?
1: Well, there are I, dozens I, of them. I didn't go back to that message board uh, after Haunted Mansion. So
0: <laughs> I'm not even sure fans of Haunted Mansion, the ride at Disneyland, are actually excited about this movie because yeah. it like doesn't even... I don't know.
1: I'm I'm scared to know how many people would rather just see the ghost the hitchhiking ghosts like as a, a performed by a cast member at disneyland as opposed to lakeith stanfield uh so <laughs> it's you know we probably don't want it to break those numbers down
0: right <laughs> this is not a haunted mansion trailer reaction podcast though, so we're gonna, <laughs> i think we're gonna move we're gonna move on um we're, we can
1: do a mini episode it looks bad <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: um yeah which is yeah anyway I was like, I could say more, but I'm not going to because then it will, will, then we really will be sidetracked. Um, But yeah, so my big question is, obviously, you know, this is this is big news, but it's also important news, and we, you know, support the writers and the actors, and this is like a really historical moment, I think, because and this was what Fran Drescher really nicely said in her press conference speech is that this is a precedent setting strike where it's like all the stuff with AI and kind of rights and who gets to use what, whose images for what things and who gets paid for their images and likeness and stuff, you know, it really is a pivotal moment that will set the tone for I- other industries. Um, and so I think, yeah, the, gro- the gravity and the ripple effect, probably of, of what's happening, starting to happen right now, we have yet to foresee, but like in terms of movies specifically, and I'm thinking award season what do we think the what does the rest of the year look like now that there are no actors doing anything or promoting anything or showing up anywhere
1: I mean it'll be wild if they're still striking by like the Oscars or even the precursors for the Oscars I feel like the the long Projection, or you know, the sort of the, the people who who are leaning to the side of this will be longer than you think are saying through the end of the year. So if it carries over into early twenty four uh, and uh, into those months, that'll be that'll be tough. But yeah, it's you know, people can't campaign; they, they're not going to be able to. Uh, be out sort of uh uh, hyping themselves up um where would everything everywhere all at once be if they the cast couldn't uh have Mm -hmm. you know been to a bunch of screenings and events last year so yeah it might change it and uh it also we were uh i guess pre-recording in talking about this beetlejuice 2 news about like oh are things gonna get um you know other things gonna get moved that are done are there gonna be movies that Uh, you know have they they have and they're completed they're going to hold them back because they know there's going to be a however many month gap sometime in you know 18 24 months out so uh you know other movies that we think oh this is a lock to be in the conversation that might not come out this year because the studios will want to hold it to have content to fill this gap.
2: I, you know, and it was interesting to see, um, you know, Andor had a really big showing at the Emmy nominations, which made me ecstatic. But then it was that kind of feeling like, oh, are they going to get, I don't want to say like an asterisk Emmy, but if there's no ceremony and it's released by tweet, like those Golden Globes were a couple years ago, it's like that is gonna feel like a lesser win and that's unfortunate because you know it's nobody's intention to to have that but you know the other funny piece of this and this speaks a little bit to pt's fandom uh, message board that he was referencing is um like comic-con is this weekend in san diego um you guys aren't going i assume i know have in the past but it's like what who's there it's it's scary it might actually be a comic book convention (laughs) this year Oh no! because you know all the big panels seem to have pulled out or they're just going to be showing footage or trying to give some giveaways i assume to try to make people excited about these things still um i had said in a different group chat you know we're about to to start ahsoka season for star wars and it's like we're not going to see the promotion machine behind that and see rosario dawson out giving interviews um i have tickets in town to boston uh fan expo and i had i had an email that explained that yes the guests are still allowed to come to this because the the union rules are active promotion is not allowed but like i have an autographed ticket for hayden christensen love him <laughs> not actively promoting a project <laughs> so you know i think that because that those types of things are going to become an important source of revenue for some stars right like a certain level star is going to need to do more of those types of appearances. So. So that all kind of evens out in the the fan circuit a little bit, but it's going to be really different for a while. I think PT's right to point out that the fan bros are going to fan bro and say, oh, you're hurting us, not the studios. But um, I think there's you know going to be backlash against all of this once those kind of very vocal parts of fandom take off.
0: Right. The scariest you- part to me was that Anne Thompson on IndieWire, the... Um- IndieWire's podcast Screen Talk. She was saying that, like, based on all the press that's coming out, and in particular the press conference, she said that the the biggest phrase that she took away was Fran Dresser saying that the studios were really tone deaf, Um, and that was the biggest problem. Is that they they don't even seem to understand where this conversation should start. Like, they don't even see what the problem is, and with with the idea that like they would have the digital likeness to a background actor in perpetuity and just be able to do whatever they want. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, so I think this is a uh, PT where you're going to jump in with something.
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to say the, the more sophisticated uh, pushback I've seen on the, But for both the writers and the actors for striking right now uh, has been people saying, like, is the potential issue that there has been so much content generated in the last like decade. uh, And everyone always talks about how like, oh, man, there's just so many shows that I never have a chance to catch up on them that, you know, it's going to be a problem for the industry that like they're not releasing new things that are generating a lot of money, but to what degree will it affect a lot of like viewers and a lot of fans when it's sort of like, oh, I can go and watch all those Netflix shows that I never had a chance to, or you know, there's a bunch of HBO or FX shows that I've heard about, but I've just never never done the Americans. Now's the time because I'm not getting new episodes of, you know, whatever, you know, House of the Dragon's not gonna come, so I'm gonna go watch Wheel of Time go listen and then listen to Greg's podcast. Um, And so, you know, whatever that like, you know, is there, is is there the possibility um, of, and again, I I feel like this is more sort of producer studio industry um, side thinking of like, you know, are are, are we shooting ourselves in the foot with this because the audience isn't going to care that there's not enough new stuff because there's so much stuff that's new to them. Uh, like and like NBC Thursday nights in the in the '90s, uh, and uh, and that that's going to be um, you know that that could be an interesting factor, but um, you know so that, that that feels the least tone deaf of the potential arguments, um, but it does seem like this sort of crying poor of like the things are changing, we can't pay anyone, we got to use these like other things, feels very disingenuous for these huge companies with giant executive. Uh, executive pay. The sort of thing we don't know anything about in uh, (laughs) higher education. Yeah,
2: I'll, I'll just toss in there just by way to note, if people haven't seen it, the union is being very clear that they are not asking people who support them to stop watching. They're like, no, keep watching. Drive up the numbers on all these things. I think whatever minuscule royalties they get, they want right now. And then also it just puts the demand on these services to, you know, maybe not Netflix but the rest of them there is a bottom right you can get to like the end of the things you would watch and that should put uh, you know pressure on them to get new stuff back out there and um, we'll see but that that's the ask from the union um, you know feed the algorithm and the algorithm will demand more content there's a segue Jen
0: yep, yep. I was like <laughs> I saw that coming um, so there so there is a very natural segue actually from from this news to Dead Reckoning Part 1, because this is not a spoiler, the, the main villain is an AI algorithm called the Entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I feel like, and I, we're going to get into it a lot more later, I assume, in terms of what the significant, like, what is this movie trying to say about AI? But it's very clearly trying to say something. Or it's, like, very clearly trying to tap into current anxieties about AI. And, and so, the the thing I was actually kind of mulling over that I want to hear your thoughts on that will then get us to short, segue into the, our short takes on the film itself. But like, you know, Tom Tom Cruise is out here trying to save movie theaters, right? Right. Like, and before the the Dead Reckoning, there's like a little inner, like a little hello from him and Chris McQuarrie clip oh. being like, I don't, maybe this was only in re- where I saw this. Greg, I did you not have it. this? I didn't oh, see okay. it either. I have this.
3: Oh,
2: okay. Okay.
0: So so okay now now I feel like I can just like can explain <laughs> it to Greg and then I therefore explain it to listeners. So so before the movie started, it was like after the previews. But before the movie started, there was you know, and it looks like they're wearing clothes that I've seen them wear in other interviews. So there must have just been like a press junket day where they just filmed this. But it's Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie sitting next to each other and basically being like, "Thank you for coming to a movie theater to see this," mm-hmm. um, and and so it's very clear that they're that this is part this movie is part of a Tom Cruise's crusade to try to like save movie theaters. Right. (laughs) Um, And so the, so the, then I started thinking about, okay, but if, how does this issue of like the use of AI and digital technology, like, does that, is that aligned with what's what's, what's being asked for in the strike or is it against it? Right. Like, so, and I really didn't have a good answer for that. And I was like, it seems like those conversations seem to be happening separately right now, and I'm not sure they should. Does anyone have any thoughts? I like how you said it. <laughs> I, mean, they, they, I,
2: I was also just thinking, like, maybe I didn't get it because I went to AMC and mainly had Nicole welcoming me, and it was oh. really oh. jarring last year at Top Gun when Nicole welcomed you and then Tom Cruise welcomed Awkward. you. Awkward. Um, it's it's but, magic
1: in a place like this.
2: <laughs> it's- um, you, you know, I think it is funny that the drivers behind let's save movie theaters are people like Tom Cruise or Spielberg or these kind. Of, I mean, he was just actively working to save TM TCM first, but, but like um there's this active spirit of like, we need theaters for this, Kind of communal experience, and they're so important. And the labor that they did to then really just support the studios, because I think the studios need the theatrical more than the actors do, but you know, that that's a t- complicated web of, of relationships to try to evaluate. Um, so it is funny to me that then it's like, you know, what else does Dead Reckoning prove? But like, you need Tom Cruise, right? You can't fill in. I don't know. Let's pick a generic action star, Jeremy Renner, for example, into the center of a Mission Impossible movie and everybody will still go, right? So you can't put an AI or a, you know, computer generated version of this. Like Dead Reckoning and films like it are good because of the real true hands that mold it and act in it and edit it and on and on and write it, of course, and on and on and on. And so it's like it it's kind of cutting against AI. Um which I do think the movie more aligns with that version of it than the like, let's get out to the movies type of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I will say the, the sort of tang, tangled web uh, of things that I also don't understand that, that Greg mentioned, uh, you know, I, I think the headlines have all been about AI on the strikes, but there's also stuff about like streaming residuals and how do we like track uh, streaming uh, views where, you know, it, it's not the same as box office uh, or, you know, Nielsen ratings for, for broadcast uh, and, and cable uh, TV. So, you know, that is an element. And I think that, you know, one of the shifts that it seems like it's been happening uh, recently has been, um, you know, Netflix was huge. And seemed so successful. So all these studios were like, well, we're going to do our own version of this. So now there's Disney and there's Peacock and there's Paramount. And it feels like the sort of uh, business side of all those places are like, this doesn't actually make us any money. And there's a little bit of like the Uber... Um, history at Netflix of like, are you making any money or are you just taking a lot of money from people who think you're making money and you're just sort of getting like venture capitalists to uh, and investors to, to cover up the fact that like this is never profitable. So, you know, this sort of old tried and true model of theatrical distribution where it's just like, okay, we know what we're getting and we know that we're, that we're doing this, you know, they, there was between the, the, um shift to the studios being like yeah yeah we'll put stuff on our streaming platform and that's going to make us a bunch of money um and then obviously the pandemic which was out of their hands i think um no it was i'm just kidding um (laughs) but uh but that you know that they they were making the shift and now they're like "No, no no wait wait reverse course uh and they want to turn back um to to the theater and it feels like you know that's an interesting sort of sort of background to um, you know, Tom Cruise is the public face of everyone go back to the movies um, and, you know, there's there's the sort of uh, 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 more sort of idealistic view of that as uh, it's like, well, we all we come together. We're different people. You know, like, we all have different thoughts and backgrounds, but we're here having this shared experience. Um, you know, uh, the Roger Ebert uh, uh, movies are an empathy machine concept, uh, and and all of that. And, you know, in a communal place, that's good. But there's also Tom Cruise, the businessman uh, producer type, who is just sort of like, this is the best way to make a lot of money. If we release mm-hmm. Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One straight to Paramount Plus we all of us will make way less money than if it's a success in the theaters first. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think that, you know, that kind of business side to it uh, is, is also kind of, um, you know, behind the headlines of, you know, how are, how are actors and writers going to get paid? How is distribution going to happen um, and how is this industry going to be uh, profitable and successful enough to, um to carry forward?
0: Well said, both of you. The only thing I'll add to that is, and then we, we should move on to our short takes, is that I think it this issue seems largely, fr- or the future of mov- movies seems framed as a binary of like the new way and the old way, the streaming and theatrical as kind of like just a binary opposition. And I feel like that's actually part of the problem is that the industry needs to evolve to account for both, right? It's not just an either or. Um, and that, yes, like... The pay structure, and this is largely what Fran Drescher was talking about, like, they, they, contracts need to be updated to reflect the current Mm. business models of the streaming age. And I think that's still, that's, that's probably one of the most important things that needs to happen. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that, like, movie theaters shut down. And then on the other hand, too, like, Tom Cruise is out here being, like, we did no, like, we did all practical stunt work, right? The the behind-the-scenes things for one of the, which, I don't want to spoil it, I guess, but um, one of the tricks that he performs <laughs> is in like there's a behind the scenes thing that where he's like insistent that he they use no visual effects to like compensate for his lack of being able to do this thing and he's like really bragging about not using a digital effects but I feel like at the same time we've seen the trend that most people who go to the movies still are doing it for big budget huge dazzling visual effects type movies and so it's just it's yeah to me it's just super interesting how there's just all these push and pulls everywhere for all these different approaches to, to movie making and but the, there there has to be a way that they can all coexist. <laughs> Where everyone gets compensated fairly and everyone, you know, can make choices for what they want to do and how they want to consume entertainment and all that.
2: I mean, I think I think you're right about spectacle. Um, but if superhero movies are really cooling to the degree they seem to be, then the only thing left is Brands based around actors and directors, right? Like people will go see Quentin Tarantino's 10th movie. People will go see, you know, the new Alexander Payne. So I hope that strengthens the bargaining positioning of Tom Cruise, the actor versus Tom Cruise, the producer, Right? Uh, because I think it is true that, you know, like, if if we are in this moment where it seems like the the message this summer is blockbusters are doing okay but not great um and some of that narrative is a little complex but it's like yeah if if the Spectacle is not driving it, then you have to package it around this. Um, the counterexample might be Barbie, which just is like pay people to market your movie insanely well, and you'll get results as well. So, um, yeah, I, these are all points on team humanity versus team AI. Oh, great! Now the robots are going to take me off because this is on nope. the public
1: record. Oh, Greg, but... we're losing you. Oh, no, <laughs> what? Uh, Well, yeah, Greg, you forgot about brands based on brands. That's the, that's the other thing, it's not blockbusters, it's just. Yeah, the
0: Barbie movie. <laughs> I that's- was going to mention air because I feel like the the historical shift of Michael Jordan being paid for his like his, mm. his brand is actually not irrelevant here, right? No, like that's no. that's the same thing that's just happening just with AI likeness and digital likeness. Um, for him, it was more just. Like he is the shoe, right?
2: Well, and and I'm going to pick on PT because in the Zoom or Zencaster, there's a beautiful shot of his high-end toys behind him. And I think about how all those actors have to give their 3D scans over to Lucasfilm Mm -hmm. or Marvel or whatever. And that's part of the contract. If I were an actor, I'd be super nervous about where that scan was and how many people were in possession of it. (laughs) Because if things are going to get that underhanded as like ready to go here it is we already have chris evans in a box for you on a on a thumb drive here's chris evans, uh to go uh so i don't know it's interesting to think about i you said it right it's the update to the contract the contract hasn't moved as the business took giant leaps in different directions it's time to update it all
1: yeah. and, and one last thing that I'll, I'll say about all this and this is probably like a whole other separate uh, podcast conversation uh, but i i think that one of the issues of the sort of trying to steer the ship back to the theatrical experience is you know the the infrastructure for lack of a better word of the theatrical experience for uh, in many places is is not particularly strong the theaters mm. were not getting um you know as many customers they're not getting a lot of uh, you know funding and so the screens are not in great shape the projectors are not particularly good the uh, uh, you know the, the the way in which it gets uh, things get parsed out where, the blockbuster is going to get, you know, 14 screens on a 16 screen multiplex. Um, you know, makes it hard for people to, even if they want to go uh, and see movies in a lot of places, like we're both, you know, all everyone on this call is in like a, 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 a privileged position of being in Los Angeles or Boston places that do have smaller theaters that do smaller things. Um, but I think that um, uh, reflective of a lot of things in uh, in the country around the concept of infrastructure. It's just sort of like, well, we ignored it for a long time and we took it for granted, or we actively were trying to uh, uh, you know, push it away because we were like, we're going to move on to new and better things uh, and and our advances are going to make this obsolete. And now that it's like, oh, actually, no, we we do need that. Um, <laughs> we need movie theaters and we need bridges. It's like, well, now we don't have, uh, people don't trust it anymore and people are not certain that um, this is worth saving. And, uh, you know, that's the real sort of uphill battle. And that's why you've got Tom Cruise like begging, you know, begging people to be happy they went to the movie theater (laughs) when they're already in the movie theater to see the movie. Um, But, you know, it's to try to generate this like, no, 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 this is good. This is worth it. Um, But you know, when it costs 30 or $40 a person, not counting babysitting, not counting, uh, you know, other things between tickets and, and concessions uh, and maybe parking, uh, if you have to pay, you know, pay for that or transportation, um, you know, it's tough. It can be a tough sell, especially if, you know, you end up spending the movie with someone next to you, like on their phone, just like um, you know, whatever d- dilly dallying instead of paying attention. So, um, so yeah, I think that it's something we all really love—the theatrical experience. Um, and so that's something that is, you know, how exactly are we going to save that? And that's separate from the strike. That's that's more of a, a conceptual thing um, to bring it back to what's important. You know, the the the, the, pe- the people who make this happen, the human beings that create the art that we want to go and see uh, and and enjoy, need to be correctly compensated.
0: All right, we're ready to move on to our short takes of our general impressions of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh Greg, since you missed our retrospective episode, you get to go first. So, yes. if the, if this I think off mic I joked that this was your opportunity to deliver your manifesto so about about the <laughs> Mission Impossible franchise. So if there's anything kind of more broadly that you want to start us off with with Mission Impossible in general before kind of giving your short take on Dead Reckoning specifically, feel free. There the could be no peace without a great suffering, the, the <laughs> suffering, etc.
2: Uh, one time in high school, it was our senior year and the band director told the jazz band when it gets to the drum solo, I'm just going to let him go. It's his last concert before, uh, graduation. He can just go as long as he wants and he will cue the rest of us back in. I feel that's like what you just handed me. <laughs> it's like, you're going to sit back and hear me do, uh, impressions of every great drum solo in history. Um, I, unabashedly love this franchise um and it was really funny because after fallout came out um i actually think i'd missed um uh rogue nation in the theater i caught it on uh pov or uh something ppv pov is point of view <laughs> POD. There it is. Some some venereal disease. Uh, and uh, so I'd missed that one. And then I went and saw Fallout. And I remember being like, yeah, I like this franchise. I, I haven't seen one in a while. And then I was like halfway through Fallout in a giant IMAX screen. And I'm like this is the greatest thing that man has ever created. It blew me away and is absolutely a five-star movie to me. I think fallout is flawless. Um, PT has alluded to uh, empire spoiler specials before, and I think they did eight hours of podcast about fallout. And I listened to every single minute of that. And five other podcasts about it I I became truly obsessed and somewhere around that time I have a really good Star Wars buddy named Carl and Carl was like hey can you tell me like why you like this so much because he looked at my kind of like profile of things I love and it didn't fit the the thing and it was a good question for me because I'm like I i actually don't know what it is that that I love about it. Hey, Tom Cruise is po- problematic. Totally get it. Yes. He supports uh, you know, a terrible institution. But I think um, as one of the hosts of Pod Save America said at Fallout, if there was a van outside that just said Scientology, do what you just saw Tom Cruise do, I would get in that van and I would just go and I would sign on and be a part of it. So, um, so I went into this movie with sky high expectations in January, I listed my top 10 most anticipated. This was number one on the list. Um, And I will say I left my first screening just a little bit let down. Um, I don't think this is Fallout. I think this is good, not great. And now I've seen it a second time since, and it definitely improved on the second viewing. I think some of the plot becomes a little more clear. You can kind of understand where things are going. And there's just that familiarity with where, um, you know, what, what you're about to see. So um, do I recommend this? Absolutely. This is a way better time with the movies. Um, Big picture pointed out, put this next to fast 10 and just realize like the craftsmanship that went into making this a really, really good movie. And that's right. We don't get things like, this at this scale, and it's totally worth seeing and totally worth seeing on the big screen. Uh, but it just won't hit the top of my Mission Impossible franchise ranking.
1: Yeah, I uh I'm in a similar uh place. I, I wouldn't say let down necessarily, but to me, this is uh, underneath the the trilogy of the the four, five, and six. Um, that sort of again, I, I kind of lump Ghost Protocol in. Um, uh, as a, Chris, a part of the Christopher McQuarrie era, because I know he was uh, a, an uncredited like heavy hand at assembling the final script, um, so I feel like it's a little bit under those, but like it, it's it's higher on my list of movies I've enjoyed this year than it is on my list of Mission Impossible movies. So, which I think mm. speaks to the quality of uh, of these. Uh, this franchise and um, just how much fun this is at the theater. I had a great time uh, and we can pull apart and nitpick uh, a whole bunch of different elements and discuss why maybe we thought, or at least why Greg and I, we'll see what Jen thinks, um, didn't think uh, it was, it was quite up there in the franchise, but like, I've I've only seen it the one time. I'm excited to watch this movie over and over again uh, uh you know throughout the rest of my life. And uh I, you know, was just like giddily enjoying myself in the way that I do when I see these movies that are just really good at tapping into that kind of movie going glee at at seeing things unfold on uh on on a big screen. So yeah, it's it's I, I choose to accept. is my short take Uh,
0: um yeah i'm i'm fairly similar i think the action set pieces in this do not disappoint at all and they're they're some some of the action sequences i think are up there they're in the running they're not quite burj khalifa right but they're 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 in the same tier i would say and so like for me like the action the tom cruise factor I loved Haley Atwell. She was incredible in this. Yes, she's so good. I'm just like, let's make her the next James Bond. Like, let's do it yesterday. (laughs) What are we doing here? Um, I think she's so good. And I I loved her so much. Uh, But I'd say that, you know, in our retrospective episode, I sort of had said that when this franchise is at its best, it has, you know, a somewhat uncomplicated but very compelling story that all hangs together and has character beats that all hang together in addition to the action spectacle. And that's what kind of makes it really special and elevates it above a lot of other action movie franchises. This, I felt like was That's where it was sort of stumbling a little bit that like the plot and the, some of the character arcs, like some of that was still, was not quite firing on all cylinders for me. Um, I have some notes specifically about certain returning characters um which we'll definitely (laughs) get into in spoiler section um and i and i actually feel like what's really interesting is that and this might segue us into the recommendation algorithm that i feel like this felt closer to mission impossible one than any of the more recent any of the chris McQuarrie movies have um to the point where i was like are we just kind of like going like was this a purposeful return to the beginning and is that part of the story is that like we're revisiting the origins of Of this character or just this or is it or is it just that Chris McQuarrie wanted to like make an homage to Brian De Palma or something like that? Because I feel like there's from the the style that it's shot, which we're going to get into, I'm sure, to the type of plot that it is and how much more convoluted (laughs) the plot potentially is. Reminded all that stuff reminded me so much of Mission Impossible 1 and like not necessarily in a good way. Or if I if I point to the things that I think aren't working as well, it's the things that are trying to be like Mission Impossible One. If that makes sense,
1: it, it does. I think that the the sort of a query approach, which again, if if you can get into the Empire podcast archives, you can see Greg. I, I have heard reports there's a twelve hour uh, version coming out for this movie. I just subscribed um, again because I yes. have to hear that. Uh, <laughs> So I I don't know if he's going to ask it to be held back because of the WGA. Uh, you know, who knows? Mm. But, um, but the, uh, but it's already been recorded, so it, it could just, it could get out there. Um, the, you know, the, but the, the Macquarie approach, which is, they sort of figure out set pieces they want to do. They figure, then they figure out what the end point's going to be and then they reverse engineer a story from there. Uh, you know, which it, it, it is sort of this, this magic trick that, that they've been able to pull off uh, multiple times uh, so far. It, it, it they 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 take some really big swings in this, and I think that um part of it is that like they're they're trying to like they're adding more plates to spin uh, in many different ways, and they're not able to keep all of them up or at least all of them spinning as successfully as in the earlier ones. I also wonder if we're going to feel differently. Whenever part two comes out, the the thing that we didn't, we, we, we transitioned around the AI from the strike into this. The other transition is now we have no idea when part two is coming out. It was supposed to come out mm-hmm. next year, but the filming yeah. was also supposed to start now, like for whatever they need to add to it. So, you know, it could be a while of until uh, until part two happens. But, you know, I, I don't think this was written to be two movies. I think that the end point they started with is whatever the end point of part two was. And then they worked their way back. So maybe some of the things that feel clunky that feel convoluted now are going to be, you know, seem a lot better at seem more like it's just laying groundwork. You know, if you watch just the first half of rogue nation or fallout, it might feel very similar of just like, what the hell's happening? And like, why is this going this way? Um, So, It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it all looks in retrospect.
2: Very good point. In spoilers, I have a couple guesses at pieces that were dropped in that seem like they're for part two, um, and it'd be fun to compare notes on that. Uh, For recommendation algorithm, I want to throw in, um, if you left Guardians 3 and was like, hey, Palm Clemente stole that movie, see this, because she is also awesome in this, completely different than Mantis, but um, just, you know, one of my frustrations with the guardians movies is you never get to see the women's actual faces. It's like a weird <laughs> thing. James Gunn has, it's like, let's make all the women weird and the dudes normal. Um, so, uh, yeah, there she's here as, you know, a character obviously, but you see her uh, without the makeup and antenna and it's like, oh, she's really good. And, and clearly got really into the, the stunts and the training as well. So, uh, Absolutely, co signed the Haley Atwell, but I kind of already knew Haley Atwell was awesome. This was a big jump up in stock on uh, Palm Clemente, and give her a—I don't think a spinoff would work, but like a—I don't know—her own alias type show or something—and I'd be all in.
0: I think she needs to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie because I think in the letterbox, mm-hmm. what are your four favorite movies? She listed Kill Bill. Her, she said, Kill Bill, old boy. I'm not going to remember the, but I was just It was, it was,
1: was like, Ga- uh, Gone Girl, which is her feel good movie.
0: That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. And, uh,
1: I do forget the fourth one.
0: But I like, they all had good answers and like their answers, I think were very reflective of their own kind of per- like personalities and, 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 personas. But I feel like Palm Clemente was the one where I was like, yes, like <laughs> let's, let's get her in, in movie in more movies like this like she she knows what's up it's uh yeah and and it's very clear that all those that all that her taste was informing her performance in this movie and in a way that was really fun i I would also to counter the hayley atwell point i feel like yes we knew how awesome she was or maybe you didn't if you didn't watch the agent carter tv series (laughs) i guess um and and you only know her from marvel but you're I feel speaking like, to
2: Bob Iger right now, who just said Marvel just started uh, TV, so he didn't even watch yeah <laughs>
0: that's, Carter. That's some I'm Haley sorry. Atwell erasure, Peggy Carter erasure. I do, I do not approve of this. Um, <laughs> but I, I I feel like she hasn't had an opportunity like this yet. Like, mm. this was probably a big swing for her in terms of, like, it's basically a... a, a female lead in a huge action franchise and like she a lot of i've heard a lot of critics say that she's co-starring in this with tom cruise like it's not even like she's like one of the supporting characters it's like her story in a lot of ways if you look at it from a certain angle um so so i think and i think she just like knocked it out of the park it was it's great so i hopefully this opens lots of other doors for her anyway but recommendation algorithm you got me distracted by (laughs) Um, Haley. can people if 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 for some reason they're listening to this and they've never seen a Mission Impossible movie, I don't know who that would be, I guess. So maybe this is a terrible question. But like, can someone jump into the franchise by going to the movies and seeing this? Would you recommend that?
1: I'm going to say yes, which I feel like is is maybe not a popular answer for this. Um, But I, I think yes, only because the plots are so convoluted and crazy anyway, that it's just like, oh, you, you know, you just have to buy along of just like, oh, this, yeah, you, they've worked with this character before. Uh, and, and, you know, throughout the whole franchise, uh, there's always times where it's just like, I got to go talk to somebody. And you have the, the further along you get, you're like, oh, is this going to be a character from another movie? And it's like, nope, it's just some other person that, you know, that Ethan Hunt worked with. Um, so, you know, it doesn't, I don't think it necessarily would matter that you uh don't know the history of him with all these people. I mean there's enough sort of information scaffolded in to let you kind of know the dynamics between all of them. Um but you know I don't I don't know why you would have not wanted to see them before. And now you're like, well, this is the time. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, that, that I guess that's where maybe to your point of who is 46 minutes into a, a podcast about it. That's uh, still hasn't really gotten to talking about the movie um, that like is, is then like, well, I don't know, am I going to want to see this movie? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but I think that you could, I think that you could, and you would have a good time because so much of it is the action and the spectacle and the sort of you know the the dramatic stakes are are sort of very in the moment and and the background backstory is great uh and and it's more fun when you know the other things but i don't think it's necessary
2: I, I co-sign that Sure, dive into seven. Will you have a fun time at the movies? Absolutely. Um, I actually also, um, on my flight recently, I ended up watching John wick on somebody's TV, like a little ahead of me. And it totally works silent on an airport plane screen. Wow. I would co-sign that for this. Like this totally works as like a silent movie. Like it, if, somehow you want to watch it that way as the creators intended silently <laughs> on a tiny screen. Um, but uh, you know, if somebody were to say, Greg, where should I jump in? I think PT gave you this advice to start at three, three is where things get good in this franchise. That's no disrespect to number one, which has uh, some really good stuff in it. Um, but I, you know, if somebody was like, I'm not really sure. I might now at this point tell them start at five and do five six seven because they are building on each other in ways that are inessential as pt just said but give you a nice bit of resonance between them if you do know oh this guy is solomon lane he's from the last movie or this is the white widow who showed up last movie uh or maybe you know her from the crown or (laughs) <laughs> hobson shaw whatever but uh yeah i think i think you can do it you know i my screening i think there were some kids who were along with their dad like sure let's just see this movie and seem to have a fine time
0: i like that tiered approach of like you can jump in cold if you have if you want to watch something but you don't want to watch everything five six i think that's a really good call and then if you want to go back even further start at three i think having that sort of tiered opt-in approach makes sense
1: I like the five, six, seven because then if if what they do is what Jen did, uh, which is five, six, seven, and then swing back to the beginning, that means that you end with Ghost Protocol, which is pretty strong. As opposed mm-hmm. to if you start with three, which means you end with Mission Impossible Two, a movie <laughs> I don't believe Jen ever actually finished.
0: I, I came close. I came close enough. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. She's like, I get it. I was like, I know where this is going. Like, I, don't need to I mean, it was also just I ran out of time. Uh, but you're right. I didn't go back and finish like the last 25 minutes that I didn't have time to watch before we recorded the other episode. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, Alright, I think we're ready to go into spoiler mode. So if you have not seen any of the Mission possible movies and especially if you haven't seen Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is out in theaters now, this is your... There's only one parachute for you. You gotta you gotta <laughs> take it now. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna count down from three, and then after that, you are on your own. So three, two, one. We're in spoiler mode. So go go, go spoiler mode. What's what's the thing that they say when they're on the phone?
1: Go. It's like go, go secure. Go, go secure. Oh,
0: secure. That's right. Go, secure. <laughs> go, go spoiler. Go spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um so where where I'll I'll leave it up to you two. Where do you want to start? There's a lot that we can dig into. I have a lot of questions. Uh, I gotta start with
2: my letterbox review. This movie did Ilsa wrong. Ilsa oh, deserves, yes, letter, right? So that's you know, when I say this isn't as good, I thought both five and six, I'm going to get my numbers confused, um, created this incredible character of Ilsa Faust. And they let her be not defined ever by being a lust object, like a bond girl would be right. I mean, that's not to say she's not gorgeous in the yellow gown. We all, see it we know what we're dealing with but um, you know she's always capable and independent Um, there was a lot of talk in those Empire spoiler specials about Fallout how she was really worried about the end where Ethan's wife shows back up and suddenly like what's that dynamic and she and McQuarrie worked on it a lot and then in this movie it's like hey I gotta go film Dune write me out of it I feel like Um, and Jen she was the actress I told you you'd be excited about because she's from Dune. There she is, Rebecca Ferguson, who was phenomenal in the last two and does great with limited material here. But I was really disappointed that she went out and how she went out. Um, and I'll let PT explain his meme response.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I almost posted it to the Instagram account. Um, but yeah, it's the 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 meme everybody is the one <laughs> where it's the like uh, i'm no longer friends with uh i, I forget the names it's like Salman and uh some like rashid or something like that um, and uh but yeah that like basically it's like i'm i'm no longer friends with rebecca ferguson like haley atwell is is my new best friend um because the, the to me the worse than Ilse faust dying which I did not like and I did not care for that um, was that it was, it was like, you know, it, people were sad. Like in, in the movie, the characters were like, that's a bummer. And then it was like, well, we have another girl and we're just going <laughs> to slot her right into the team. And that's going to be fine. So like now you just have to make the choice and you're now Ilsa and that's fine. Uh, and you'll serve the exact same purpose that Ilsa did. And you know, it's great. Cause it's Hayley Atwell. And like, she was so awesome in the movie, but it was sort of like, uh, like there's there's it doesn't have um, maybe as much resonance uh, as it should um, to the degree. And this is pure copium where I'm just like, we don't I don't know if she's dead. I don't know if else is actually dead. You know, we, we, we saw her on the ground, but we saw her on the ground before. And you know what? What it turned out it turned out she wasn't dead. They did a fake out. Why would you do a death fake out in the beginning of the movie to only then kill her in the like, sl- not even at the middle of the movie? Um, if it isn't going to be in part two that it was like actually when the boat showed up, because um, like right at, right after mm-hmm. he finds her, the boat comes up, it was actually that she was still alive and they carted her off somewhere and she's going to come back. once Now that Dune part two is done, um, <laughs> she'll be able to come back for Dead Reckoning part two. Ilsa, don't, Ilsa lives.
0: Don't don't give my hopes up like that, PT.
1: Because
0: like, I was partly like they could if people are as upset about this as, as I think they are, not just the three of us, but I've heard other people be upset about this. They could retcon it where they're like they flash back to her on the ground and then like she pulled a mask off or something like, you know, what I mean, like they could they could they could retcon a mask moment where it's not actually her or something like that. Um, but I don't think they will.
3: <laughs>
0: I think this is I think this is the end of the line for our girl. And I feel like they did her. They did her real dirty. And I'm just I'm just very upset. And the thing is, like, I knew way early that this was going to happen the second she holds hands with ethan on the gondola or whatever or what yeah like the and they seem happy together i'm just like no they're not gonna (laughs) do that this is not okay i was like and so i was like stewing about it until it actually happened which i feel like was a good like half hour later right because you go through the whole nightclub scene like there's a Mm -hmm. lot that happens in between and so that it because I and then I and then I knew that the beginning was a fake out and I actually thought that the the part in the desert, I thought was was worked pretty well mm-hmm. because it was like showed how he's still so he's still so attached to her. And then they have this strong bond and like that. I thought it was really nice because it's like in the past movie, she's always the one who's get, choosing to save him against her own agenda. And this was sort of like the same thing, just like he's returning the favor. And then they just went ahead. And had her go out in a lame sword fight in the background of a scene. You know what I mean? Like it was like really anticlimactic and had nothing to the, I guess my biggest problem with it is that it has nothing. I feel like if Ilsa were to die, it would have to be after some climactic moment with Ethan, right? It had to be, some, it would have to be some massive sacrifice. I wanted like they were, that's sort of what I was missing is that because Ethan's not even there when she dies, Right, um, and it's just kind of this like very weak repartee that she has with the Gabriel character, and it just I don't know. And then, but then also, oh, yeah, I'm getting so mad about this now. Uh, on top of all that, right? That was that's like all that's bad. But on top of all that, they position her as one of many women right. that Ethan has to choose. Right, and that's what I didn't really, I really didn't like about the nightclub scene is that it positions. We got Ilsa in one corner, we've got we've got Grace in another corner, and we have Alana, right, the White Widow in another corner. And right, it's like, oh, look at all look at all of these women who want to be with Ethan. And it and it became to me actually like a very regressive James Bond thing where it was like, Oh, and mm-hmm. like they're all under threat and you can't save them all, and isn't that sad? But then you'll move on with your life, right? Like <laughs> it, it had it had big James Bond energy to it in the like women are disposable kind of way. Um, which I did not like uh and i feel like the the franchise had done so well up until that point with the ilsef house character not make plugging her as as greg just said not plugging her into that kind of narrative and then she and then and then we put her right back in it so yeah i have When I said I had notes, it was mostly about this. (laughs) But now, when
1: when we get to part two and it turns out that she's alive, it's going to be. Am I going to be not mad? I'm still going to be
0: mad. Um, I I
1: would
2: scream in the theater if that theory is correct. Because no, because then it
1: becomes no. That's what you thought it was, but actually, that's how Ethan Hunt (laughs) is undermining the entity is because he doesn't just think of women as disposable, Mm -hmm. interchangeable objects. Um, It's not. I mean, I'm I'm really digging myself in a corner because now this won't happen, and I may actively dislike. Like but I do that I want to be clear i i, I really enjoyed this movie uh, I think we're we're focusing on the parts we didn't like, and I have a few more other elements i that I want to complain about um but uh but I did overall really like it. I think that now uh, it's getting to the point where if part two doesn't bring her back, I'm gonna be like, I may actively just not like this now
0: uh mm. I may
1: be just like negative about it. The only pushback uh, I have uh on what you said, Jen is um that sword fight looked awesome. Uh, It was short. It was too short. But, like, when they squared off, like, and he's got a dagger and she's got a sword on, like, on the bridge, like, that one sort of, like, kind of long shot of it looked really cool. And I was like, this is great. Uh, And they're not going to kill her. The drone
2: going back and forth over the top was really rad. And and they're
1: not going to kill her because that would be a really dumb thing to do right now. So, like, she's (laughs) going to survive somehow. Um So maybe like, I don't know on the second viewing, if it will be more dread than cool, but it did look cool. Um, I also Mm -hmm. remember thinking uh, I wasn't as tuned in because again, I was too confident that they wouldn't do her this dirty. Um, And just like put her right in a fridge. Um, But I I do remember thinking during that nightclub scene, I was like, I don't think it's legal to have Rebecca Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby and Haley Atwell (laughs) together in one scene. This is just too much. This is too powerful. They can't do this. And the movie was like, we agree. We're going to get rid of them. And I was like, oh, no, like we got to we got to, you know, uh, vote in your local elections. We got to change that law because apparently it should it should be legal to let all three of them live.
0: I did really like, you know, to, to focus on more positive things. I did in that scene really like the the editing, like the the quick cuts to people's reactions. And there's a lot of glances and there's mm-hmm. a lot of implied history and that they're kind of speaking to each other without speaking. I couldn't quite follow what they were all saying to each other with their eyes 100% of the time necessarily, but I liked that it was doing that. Um, I just didn't like what was actually happening in the scene. I guess my thing with the sword fight is that i just at the end by the end of this movie i really didn't care care of like i like the actor who's playing gabriel a lot but i didn't really care about him as a character at all um he's tricky and i i don't know if i don't know if there's a way to get around that right because with the villain of the movie being the entity which is not does not have a physical manifestation nor would i want it to like i think i heard another podcast being like what did you want like ultron like (laughs) (laughs) because someone complained that the the if they're the villain is invisible like what are we supposed to latch onto as viewers or whatever right um so i know like he's supposed to be kind of like the human avatar kind of serving the interests of the of the entity but because of that it just like he wasn't really fully formed as a character and then like i liked that we got to learn a little bit about the origin stories though of like what what ethan's life was pre-imf like that seemed cool in concept to me but i feel like they just kept showing the same flashback of this random woman i don't know dying and gabriel being like looking at him being like i'm here and then and that's it like and i don't and again like maybe this is solved in part two because we get more we find out what actually happened i'm hoping that's true but in this movie it just seemed like kind of like a thing we've flashed to a bunch of times, but it didn't actually mean that much to me. So I don't know how you guys felt about that.
2: I really liked Gabriel as acolyte of the entity. I did not like Gabriel as ancient nemesis of Ethan Hunt. We've never heard of. So that's the layer I would peel away. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's also a little confusing to me because it seems like he entered the service because he was framed for murder or looked guilty of this murder of this woman but it also very much looked like it was a mission already when that like in those flashbacks. So I, I, I think I'm looking for clarity on that. You're right. I'm sure part two has like a long flashback, like full scene of that. Um, But I like, I, I also thought like, why do you have to invent somebody new for this? Like if your point is Ethan Hunt, you know, sacrifices his women to, to, you know, achieve his mission, Um, Jen, I don't know if you know this. Dewey Newton's in the second one. Maybe you didn't make it as far as her. Uh, So, uh, but like flashback to her. How crazy would that have been? I mean, or um, the... Uh, I forget the actress's name, but is it Claire in the first movie? Like, Mm -hmm. like they've all been disposable all the way through. Nobody knows what happened to Paula Patton from the third. Maybe she's coming back at some point. Um, Like there, there are options within the franchise that would have been more um, fulfilling and not fan servicey necessarily, or hell throw, just throw the old footage in and be like, look at how many times you've watched him do this. And think again, like, would he save grace? Like, is she any different?
0: Right. I think the only problem logistically with that is that all of the alternatives that you named are post IMF, right? And wasn't the whole point was that this is what brought him into the IMF. And maybe we just don't need that layer at all. But then I think that doesn't feed as nicely into Haley Atwell's arc or Grace's arc, I should say, of like, she was just like him when before joining the IMF, right? And that she has the choice. And I feel like that's probably why they did that because it fits nicely into the like they all had to make this choice at one point because they were kind of boxed into a corner with the way their lives were going and they had they had the choice. And I really like that scene where they're all standing around the room, being like, "Yeah, like this is what you do." Like, it with 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 um Simon Pegg and Ving Rand, like all like I like all of them standing around Grace and I like her formation as a character made a lot of sense to me. And so I wonder if like it's just purely. Because the purpose of it for her character was to be like paralleling her with Ethan, like early Ethan. I don't know. Yeah, I
1: I, I agree that that is the idea, and I think it ties into an idea. This I I, I keep helping you set up segues and then tearing them down because I want to keep talking about something else. <laughs> uh, but it sets up well of something that we have coming up on our on our doc that is the sort of like humans having choice and then, but the the algorithm is sort of running the data and ended up being sort of like predestination and being able to predict uh, accurately what people will do based on past decisions. Um, And so the choice and and the concept of it being a choice is important. Um, But I just didn't, like it here the ethan hunt backstory and maybe it will look better after however they unfolded in part two i don't know uh and i'll i'll give greg you know again um segue that i will destroy greg a chance can you can chime in Th- this whole like flashback to me was what i thought of when you said i think there's stuff that was definitely put in here mm. to set up part two like that felt like all these little scenes are like okay we're gonna get this scene in full later in 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 the uh, end part of the movie uh, or the second part of the movie um but to me it felt a lot like when uh i i went and i do i'm Again, potential age difference. I remember going to the theater to see Back to the Future 2 uh, and then being the movie being like, you guys remember how Marty McFly hates being called chicken? And it's like, no? <laughs> like, what? Like, that's not in the first yeah. movie. It's like, no, well, he does. And it's really important for what we're going to do um, for the next four hours.
3: Um,
1: but, Like, that felt similar. Where It's like, Good you know point. how Ethan Hunt, like, lost a woman and that's why he joined the IMF. But it's like, wait, what? He did? Like, that's, <laughs> did he? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's super important for what we're going to do here. Um I heard multiple
0: critics ask other critics in their podcasts, being like, did I miss something? Like, was that referencing mm. something I don't remember? And like that, and that's not good. That's not good. for yeah. Those people's reaction. yeah. Well,
1: and it's it is interesting because there's so much in the last couple of movies, though the sort of full Macquarie experience that have been like, I do not accept losing someone. Like, I will choose the you know Baldwin says to him, you will choose the individual life over the collective good, um, and that's why like I'm with you. That's why I support you. Um, and so like the idea of like all of this started because he couldn't save someone. And so now he's just trying to save sort of everyone, but also, you know, save like the the, the individuals around him. And then the entity is setting up that there's a, well, this is a, you know, you can't save both people, a real sort of dark night type thing of like, you got to choose one or or only one's going to end up, um, you know, whatever. Um, but it just got, it was just clunky because it ended up just feeling like, um, like, well, the whole thing with with Ethan is that some, a girl got fridged back in the day, so now one of his girls is going to get fridged now, um, but maybe he'll be able to save another girl, and it's like, like the, to Jen's point, it's like they stop being individual characters, um, and they are just talismans that he is trying to collect and protect, um, which, you know, feels toxic in a way that these movies don't normally, you know, uh, normally aren't. So, um, I'm fully with Greg. I really like Gabriel as this sort of, like, you know, I don't know, man, like I'm on team entity, like this, this is going to be great, or or this is where the power is. And I'm going with him. Um, so I'm doing that. And if he was just this sort of, you know, like invisible person who shows up and does that, that would be great. But this sort of shoehorning in of like, and actually, he's Ethan's biggest nemesis. It's like, I don't know, I don't think so. And I don't care. <laughs> um, like, and, and uh, I would love to be proven wrong, or I'd love to have that feeling be taken away in uh in the next movie but yeah that's the thing that i feel is the most excisable um that i think would lead to a better experience and i think would also make the ai plot feel less quote unquote convoluted for people because i thought the ai stuff was all pretty clean um it, for something that was bonkers um but i thought that it all kind of made sense it was just what it was like and it's also tied to ethan's past it's like wait what like it mm-hmm. is um that felt that felt like the extra like uh, you know ingredient that kind of spoiled the recipe a little
0: yeah that's a really smart observation because i think if you take away conversations that gabriel has with ethan sort of taunting him about their past or conversations that ethan has to have about other people about like like he has the conversation with luther and luther's like you can't kill him right like that's what the entity wants you to do um and i know how much you want to and like they could, but i think if there's if that's not there then there's so much more space for actual ex- like actual monologues from Gabriel about his philosophy of, about the entity and like, why does, why is he following the entity and like, why is the entity good? And like, why you know, like um, and more of the kind of cult leader kind of crazy, like, like freaky, like terrifying villain stuff. And I, and, and so, but the thing is that I think the plot that they set up, they can't do that. Right. Because then there's the, there's the whole, the entity, knows that ethan's the only one And clarify if i get any of this wrong the entity knows that ethan's the only one who would want to kill it and so it has handpicked gabriel plucking him from ethan's dark past so that ethan like as bait for ethan because he knows that he will kill him and therefore not like you know what i mean like there there's some convoluted like ripple effect that is mm-hmm. laid out mm-hmm. that if ethan gives into his emotions and kills gabriel that's going to actively hurt his quest to find the, the key and kill the entity, right? I believe that's right. Yes.
3: yes. <laughs> it's
1: clean, well,
0: very simple. <laughs>
2: I think, so your question about how the plot gets convoluted, I think it is that, right? That there are multiple moments in the film where the film is like, this is what we need to do, except, oops, it knows we're going to do that. And so here's what it's doing to think about this. And, you know, I think Luther says you're playing three-dimensional chess with an algorithm. Um, And like, there is a way in which the movie likes to just say, like, it is that complex, but that doesn't really matter right a little bit of austin powers 2 where it's like and i don't think you should ask those questions either right (laughs) dear viewers um so uh i i think um i think it's right to say that the algorithm would have recruited gabriel the way the movie seems to work to me is the algorithm sees the only threat to its existence is ethan Everybody else will fall. Everybody else will fail. So I need to take out Ethan. And so- Well, and it's a moral
0: argument too, right? Ethan's the only one who has no self-interest and therefore will want to do the right thing and kill the entity.
2: Yes. Right? And just on top of that, the algorithm is a, or the entity is Ethan as well, right? So Carrie Elway sets up this other doubling. You talked about there are many doublings in this. And so to see that, you know, to me, this is like we've done this spy versus spy Solomon Lane with was Ethan's equal as a spy. Now, what if we made AI Ethan that it can just do everything Ethan can do but faster, and it can you know is unpredictable in the same way and is the rogue agent. Um, and so, all the movie flows from the fact that it has to stop Ethan from destroying it. And I think where it lost me the first time is I thought the whole point of the opening was that that submarine had created the entity. And so the twist that comes late in the movie is that the entity was created by Carrie Elways, I don't know his character name, and was essentially the agent they sent to stop the submarine. The submarine is only stealth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all that's there. But in taking down the stealth, they deployed this rogue agent, the entity, another Ethan figure, right? And now they have lost control of it from there. So, the MacGuffin of the second, well, of this movie and presumably the second, is not to go kill the entity directly, but to go get the source code out of the submarine which is the only way to then kill the entity. Um, I, I think that's convoluted. Like it, It's tough. Never mind the Gabriel issues we already kind of tried to disentangle a bit. So if uh, critics or audiences are leaving that, I think it can be a little crazy. Now to PT's earlier point, if you just want to be like, cool, cruciform key looks awesome. We got to go get it. Like The movie totally works on that level. And who cares who does what? You're just fighting over the key. You can follow it in that way as well. I just wanna bracket in one question that is not to be addressed at this second, but I'm gonna forget unless I say it. Is Angela Bassett president in this movie? Continue. Yes. <laughs> <gasps> Her picture's
0: on the wall, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. it looks
1: like she's in the oval. <laughs> well, and, and Carrie Carrie Elwes is the head of CIA, the CIA, right? Uh he's, or no, uh, he's the
0: National DNI. Security. Okay. Or- Director of National
2: yeah. Okay. Intelligence. Yeah. Okay, there we go. There which we means
1: go. which is above the head of the CIA because that was the other option is she's her photos on the wall for being CIA director. Right. I, I think, think she and I is above that. Yeah. So, so I yeah, think she's president. president now. She's president. Which is because awesome. Because of how well she handled the events of fallout. <laughs> Sean got, Mark, yeah. Uh, Slept into <laughs> office, um, which is great. Uh, yeah. I, I I agree that like the the sort of the existence and sort of what exactly happened with the the AI is convoluted. Um, I, 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 I do think that, it would be easier to sort of be like, okay, sure, whatever. It's an AI and stuff's happening. Um, if it wasn't so also entangled with these flashbacks um, mm-hmm. that it would be like less of a problem for people to try to like peel back what's going on. If, uh, if it was just kind of like, okay, there's something happening in that submarine. That's the AI, whatever, like, and we can figure that out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that that's interesting. I hadn't, uh, picked up on that in my viewing the sort of uh, uh parallels being drawn between like the entity as sort of like a, a pure you know binary code version of of Ethan Hunt um, who is the living manifestation of destiny and the the entity is able to you know determine destiny by predicting what's happening so um that's interesting uh and and I'm sure that that is uh intentional uh but yeah, it's, it, it's a little bit messy. I, I think I I I've respect and I think it was um, in many ways the right call to not like the last few movies be like, it's a nuclear bomb or it's a mm. nerve gas that's going to do something, which is sort of very tangible, and I guess, sort of understandable. And instead, it's this more, um, you know, a different kind of existential threat. But I, I think that that meant that the way that that. They, Macquarie and Cruz construct these stories kind of, uh, uh, you know, from from the the, the end backwards. Um, led to like more moments where they were like, uh so where do we explain this and like how do we get this across? Whereas like this thing go boom, people die. Like makes a lot. Like it's pretty easy. It's like boom, that would be bad. Um, and instead, this is like you know um so like it's not the russians that made this but it was the americans but it was the americans mixed with what the russian sub had is what's gonna it's like okay like that's (laughs) um that that's gonna be a mess and again i'm sure it will be a little clearer when it comes out but maybe it'll just be messy in in the same way that some of the twists and turns to jen's way earlier point um some of the twists and turns in the first movie led people to be like, what is, who, what, what's happening? Like, who's, yeah. who's in charge? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Which, which I think that was more rooted in the Brian De Palma film, like sort of like cinematic choices. The of fake how he montage. Of yeah. Things. yeah. Yeah. The sort of the, 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 the lies being like voiced over the montage of the truth. Yeah. Um, it was, I think the big sort of sticking point in that first movie. Whereas this is more like, we created a, 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 a big bad and a related MacGuffin that we cannot explain in 15 seconds. Like we could in all the other movies.
0: And yet the thing that I think did really work about the entity is really tapping into a sense of fear of how easy it will, would be for an AI to trick us. So like for me, the most chilling move moment in the whole movie is when, Uh, Benji is giving Ethan directions and then Mm. the entity takes over and Ethan has no idea. And to Mm -hmm. me, like that really was like, this movie did a really good job at illustrating how AI could be doing stuff. We don't even know (laughs) Uh, in a way that actually, to be honest, like when I first was watching it felt I was very uncomfortable because it almost feels like too close to home. Where it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, like that could be happening to me right now. Like, like um, maybe I'm not even in this theater, right? Like, you know. Um, but, uh, and I feel like that moment was was the most chilling, and all of the stuff where it's like the AI and actually the opening scene. I think you know, I was kind of like confused because it didn't have. We can get into this all, but apparently this this is not the only time a Mission Impossible movie has opened without Ethan. But hmm. I was kind of like, uh, where's Ethan? <laughs> Why are we on the submarine? Um, what's going on? I guess this is like, I didn't go hunt for red October. I went K-19, the, the Harrison Ford. <laughs> for sure. like, as, as
1: most people do. As most people do, they go right to K-19, the Widow. <laughs> when they don't like, go to U-571, they're like, "Well," <laughs>
0: um, And I was like, well, okay, I guess that's what this movie is now. Um, but I think it did a really good job of showing the panic of like suddenly the ai is doing stuff and making things go wrong and they there's really nothing anyone could do about it um and there's there's a bunch of moments like that throughout the movie um like i think the benji moment is the most powerful because we really do see like oh no ethan is just gonna like run the wrong way (laughs) and he has no idea and like they had this idea that we trust information that might not be trustworthy i think Mm -hmm. that to me was like really really well done and and really was scary um in a way that worked um, yeah. and so I think that yeah, like, inst- so, so the way that it's framing AI as a contributor to a post-truth world that we live in, yeah, I think was really good. And I think that's the part of the AI theme that really worked for me.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a good point. I I, I want to come back to that, the sort of post-truth component when we get to our, the rhetorical situation, uh, mm. down the road, but, uh. Uh, to to speak to the opening, it, it's interesting. And looking back now, I'm I'm starting to to get more excited about the the point Greg raised, which uh, which is a sort of Ethan uh, entity um, parallels or or you know connections. Um, is that you know the, that scene was unfolding, and I was like, yeah, yeah, Hunt for an October vibes. The, I'm ha- I did think that, especially the sort of Russian merging into um into into english uh and i was like this is great i'm very excited for when one of these russian guys rips their face off and it's ethan hunt um <laughs> i was waiting for that like i assumed yeah. that was going to happen but instead the, the 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 face ripping off is the entity like that's who mm. like reveals itself in that scene and and is the one uh who's doing green it. dots so, to red dots right yeah. like
2: that's that's the mask <laughs> mm-hmm. And the little um,
1: blue, doesn't the blue eye appear, like, in, in yep. the computer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and to, to
2: further that point, the excellent, excellent scene in Carrie Elway's office, which does play very differently when you know that Carrie Elway's is asking these people to explain the entity to him, even though he created the knows, entity and yeah. knows exactly what it is already, um, that then... Kittridge describes ethan but he's essentially describing both again right like so you have a problem and you just send word it's like yeah that's what the entity was supposed to be right mm-hmm. like they just send the word and and the entity take care care of it also shout out chris parnell is in there killing it uh good to see warlock back in uh, the saddle uh idira varma uh recently of kenobi and formerly of mm-hmm. game of thrones um I became obsessed on second viewing with the way she's sitting. Everybody else is like perched properly, and she's like reclined. With she's her, leaning. Legs crossed, mm-hmm. like, kind of like she's owning this room, and I have no idea who she is, like as a character and and all that. Uh, and PT, maybe you know who's the comedian who speaks? It's Rob Delaney. Delaney. Rob Delaney. Yes, yes, yes. Also kills
1: it. So is that's he? That's just a in ca-
0: cool catastrophe. Which is the yes. character? Oh, I yes. didn't watch. I with, need to watch.
1: Um, oh, Sharon Hogan. Or Horgan um, is the Irish comedian who he co-wrote it with, um, who did uh, Bad Sisters recently. Um, Anyway, yeah, that's a great show. He's very funny. Um, uh, And that scene is super fun. uh, And we always obviously like in uh, even like the early, early Top Gun Maverick trailer when that green bomb goes off and everyone sort of um reacts uh that was uh that was great that was a, a it, the scene that felt like and there were a few moments of this where i kind of felt the oh right this was made during covid where like when yeah. they would and, and like the 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 stylistic choices that that jen referenced earlier um that that kind of ties back to the first mention impossible which is the brian de palma dutch angle like sort of, like, shooting underneath people and trying to, like, make things claustrophobic um, was great as a visual callback. It also felt like, oh, most of these people were not in this room when they filmed it (laughs) or they had to film them all sort of individually. Um, And there was, like, a degree sometimes where it felt like conversations were a little bit disconnected and, you know, that's just something that I think as time goes on, feels a little more potent across many movies uh where it sort of feels like or like oh you film this in like if you're supposed to be somewhere um you know that you filmed it in a green screen then you put something on in the background um to be to be safe which is good everyone should be safe um and there's not as much of that because it is mission impossible they film outside they film in locations um but um that office that like office scene in particular felt like there was never more than like Two of these named actors we just talked about in that room at, at one time, except for maybe like a couple of establishing shots, uh, and then they shuffle. You're saying a, a full Fast Ten uh, component? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I I appreciate the references to Fast <laughs> Ten, a movie I'll never watch. Um, but yeah, the um, yes, every the, actor in that. Film I thought of the West Wing. I was like, <laughs> I
0: thought Sorry. of the West Wing. I was like, all these people would be awesome on the West an episode of the yeah, West Wing. That's no, what that scene. Totally. That would be great. Yeah. Also, why does no one notice that? that tom cruise's disguised character is in the corner like i like no one cares (laughs) that he's just unpacking a briefcase like i well i think that they said that
1: like it's it's kittredge's assistant right because when he gets the phone call he's like oh your dude got like it was like was like found at his home like knocked out but he also just scanned in so i think he's basically just like his personal assistant or secretary yeah you know it's like yeah he shows up and he's getting like a uh, like a tea ready for Kittredge, like, cause he seems very like needy. Um, it's and it's, so everyone's it's, just it's like, yeah, 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 whatever.
2: but it's body man, right? It's yeah. Charlie from the West yeah. wing, right? Exactly. So it's, it's Kittredge's Charlie yeah. or, or Tony Hale from Veep. Uh, 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 correct. And Bagman is like a criminal. So yes, body man. <laughs> <There we go>. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: um, yeah, since you brought up the, I don't think I actually have anything to add about the Dutch angles. Um, yeah, well, I, I said let's,
2: all my let's talk through your Mission Impossible One parallel. So what do you got on your list that you think draws it together? So Dutch Angles.
0: Yeah, Dutch Angles and and just the, the type of plot that it's a plot about people's motivations and we don't know what they are yet, right? They're revealed later. Like to me the the reveal that Carrie always that, that two two things. One that Kittridge is the buyer, and that Carrie always um on top of that Carrie always is, is like the actual bad guy right <laughs> who who is trying to eliminate witnesses essentially right because it's it's like there's a moment where he says like are you the only one that knows hey, who's he? I can't remember now are you the only one who knows that 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 the the submarines at the bottom of the ocean or something like that right um yeah. and then he kills
1: Well that's that's Gabriel kills Carrieoas cuz Carrieoas is like I'm going I'm indispensable cuz I'm the only person who knows the location uh, like the coordinates where the summary is. great. So I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um,
0: but all of that stuff really reminded me of Mission Impossible 1, right? With the John Boyd character and like how, how it's like you think one thing through most of the movie and then it's this other thing. Um, but then just in general, the throwback to Kittredge, because like actually people listening to this, if they haven't watched Mission Impossible 1 might not know. Kittredge is the main antagonist from Mission. Well, who, other than John Boyd, who's like to, like, and I guess we're spoiling this movie if you haven't seen it. But that's okay. <laughs>
1: You were warned. It's mm-hmm. impossible. One, here's the ending. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, but the, but Kittridge is a direct holdover from that movie. Like he, he's the one in in the beginning who. So now I'm like maybe maybe if you haven't if you've seen it but it has been a really long time. Kittredge is the one that Ethan meets with initially, and Ethan thinks that he's going to help him, and then he's like, no, like evidence points to you're the mole. And then the, then they blow up the fish tank in the restaurant, and and then he runs away. So. Um, Red light, green light. Green light. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so yeah. The, the fish tank that
1: holds a restaurant full of water, yeah. um, which you know that's fine. That's
0: it's a, fine. a choice. Um, to
2: quote Emilio Estevez, "asta lasagna, don't get any on ya. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um. Anyway, so so I was actually really surprised that that yes, Kittridge's voiceover was the trailer, right? Like. And he's probably featured in the trailer. But this whole movie is framed from his perspective. Like the exposition we see in the trailer is essentially the bookend of the movie. Right. Um, and I just thought this was I was surprised by this choice. And I also and maybe you two can help me out here. I was also kind of confused by this choice. Like I didn't understand why the movie is being told from Kittredge's perspective, essentially. Like why is he our narrator um, at the hmm. beginning at the end? Um question. And like and then I kept being like, well, is... oh, and the other inconsistency with the Kittredge character was I really liked that in the scene with Grace, Ethan's explaining who Kittredge is and is like, she's like, Can I trust him? And he's like, No. <laughs> but I trust that he will recognize your he recognizes value, right? So like he will want mm-hmm. to use you in the way that he has wanted to use me over the years. And so I thought that was really good. But then when we get to Grace confronting Kittredge on the train, she says, Ethan Hunt says, you're a man I can trust. And is that intentional?
1: Yeah, I think she's lying. Mm.
0: Because she's trying to trick him into thinking that she trusts him even when she knows what's up. Right.
1: I I, I think that like that she's saying that because she thinks that Kittredge will want to believe that he's sort of like got that power over ethan of like haha he trusts me um <laughs> and ethan's really like no but like he's predictable um but what and and one thing i you know like about kittredge and i think it's another parallel between one and, and seven maybe a little less so in this one but in the first movie like he's unquote like he's an antagonist but he's not doing anything wrong like you know he's not like evil or bad he's just sort of like all the evidence points to you and i'm gonna get you and he's like, yeah, it does. Like that was the whole. That's what John Voigt was doing was setting Ethan up, and so like, and in the end, he's never just like, well, I'm going to get you anyway because, like, that's what I set out to do. He's just kind of like, yeah, all right. Well, the evidence changed, uh, and so <laughs> that's that's fine. Um, he does send the poor guy who was in the um langley room to wherever he does like alaska or wherever he sends yeah. him um and uh, i, I, I do believe
0: something to make him sick
1: right i do believe that guy's also back in the next movie which is going to be fun i have no idea how that. that will connect but the actor's <laughs> back at least huh. um so that's cool um but uh but yeah like i mean this one it's a little bit more like well he is trying to get like the entity that will control all power but like every country's doing that like he's not like any worse than anybody else that is probably like the thing that the director of the cia or whatever his title is would like would want to do um but yeah he isn't like intentionally trying to like you know do something evil beyond like be a part of the intelligence community um which uh you know is is i think notable in that he doesn't really have ulterior motives beyond just sort of like i'm doing my job that's the, that's the job as uh, President Bassett would say, <laughs> uh, I would
2: just, I, I hate to beat a drum, but I think it's another doubling, right? Yeah. Uh, Kittredge is trying to control Ethan the way Carrie Elways is trying to track down his entity, right? And so um, just. First of all, shout out that they brought him back. I was so excited when they announced Henry Shurney, Cerny would be back. Uh, apologies for pronunciation. Um, uh, because it is very cool. And this franchise has not done this. I mean, the Fast franchise does this all the time. It's like whoever you saw is coming back. But but this was like, oh, remember that guy from six movies ago? We're going to bring him back and imply that he's been here the whole time. So I just was so excited. And it delivered on mine. but but particularly, you know, the fact that you're right, Jen, it opens with his his voice and ends with his voice kind of framing all that he's discussing. And he's primarily talking about Ethan, right? And it's a continuation almost of that speech he gives Ethan to his face, which is like, it's a little Top Gun mavericky. which it's like the world has moved beyond you and you're a relic in this way. And essentially we have an AI version of you that's, that's going to happen. But I do think, um, you know, the, the submarine scene at the beginning throws out dead reckoning very quickly. And so everybody's like, yes, the title, we got it. Like, (laughs) but I I do think it's important that it's reckoning in the navigation sense and reckoning as in like, you have to reckon with everything you've done. And I think Kittredge is another form of that. He's reckoning with the fact that he's created this kind of insane monster that happens to get things done all the time. Uh, who knows for why, except for the the quote PT uh, stole for the opening, uh, which was, you know, for those uh, he loves and those he hasn't yet gotten to meet or will never meet rather. Um, so I think all that's present, but I want to also to your list of things that replicate mission impossible one, the whole confrontation between um, Kittredge and the widow is, is, kittredge with max Max. in the first movie just Mm -hmm. redone with max's daughter and they they remind you they they really hit in the last movie in fallout that this was max's daughter and here they just give that little hint that he it's you know the widow is allowed to operate in the and max before her um because they have a kind of guardian right, angel because
0: allows it yeah
2: yeah yeah and you know a lot of what she was doing in fallout was working for the cia which was problematic because it was more cia cia imf in that movie um so there uh and and just again that it is uh you know uh vanessa kirby killing it doing her best vanessa redgrave i think mm-hmm. is right yeah uh, and so uh so add that to the list and then the most important of all Jen, you referenced it in the spoiler section but sleight the of the hand the, the close-up magic, right? That There was this hint in Mission Impossible 1 that Ethan was a very good sleight of hand magician. And we finally get that coming around again for whatever reason. Um, so, uh, you know, e- this list is silly. Obviously, just the train and fighting on top of a train again, and like all these things. That wasn't just Indiana Jones. That was also, uh, you know, it's weird we saw that two weeks in a row or three weeks apart. Um, but I think it's, Absolutely intentional to say, let's go back to square one and show you how much this character has changed, how much he's lost and how much he's experienced. But I I think of it as wiping the slate clean. It's like we've done it all now. And to me, it's a real signal like you have no idea what's coming next because we've kind of wrapped up this whole experience Uh, neatly, and we have another half a movie. Um, So I'm excited to see where that goes. But uh, yeah, sorry, that was a a lot of pent-up ramble. But I I think it's dead on to say this is purposely being... Mission Impossible One, the long take review slash Jen's Instagram post disrespected Mission Impossible One, but it it belongs up there. It's a little it's a little outdated now, but there's a lot of good in there, and it's it's really cool that it, you know Brian De Palma I think has had a little bit of a recognition that we've underestimated him. Um, you know he's he's an American master, but he never hit the Spielberg Lucas heights despite being in that kind of cohort. Um, I don't know, maybe some De Palma heads are coming to my house now. What? Oh my God. It's uh, Ron Perlman. No, no. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but I, I do think it's very purposeful and and I expect that means um, we're in for something totally different next time, but I don't
1: know. It, it also makes sense to go back to the first movie if they want us to be thinking about Ethan's time before the IMF. If that's, mm-hmm. you know, again, I, I, I question the, uh, uh, effectiveness of having that be such sort of a, a an important plot hook but if you are going to have it be well this is what things were like in Let's say 1993, if you know, and 96. Then is after he's been in for a few years. Um, then it makes sense to bring us back to uh, to that time. The uh, only thing, other thing, I'll add to all those um, th- th- those great points. Two things I'll add. Uh, one, um, I mean, I feel like I was pretty respectful of Mission Impossible. One, I, I put it at uh, you know number four on my list at the time. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, no no disrespect to that movie. That the last three have been better, or you know, the three <laughs> before Dead Reckoning. Um, and the other thing is uh that the your to to further your um entity ethan parallel the whole reason that ethan tells uh uh, grace that she can she can't trust kittredge um but she can she can you know whatever present herself uh to him is because ethan knows exactly how he can predict Mm. he can predict exactly how which is how the entity also makes all of its choices
0: that just yeah, the whole Ethan is the entity is blowing my mind. <laughs> Every time we bring it up, um, it's also good
1: because Tom Cruise is a robot, so that makes yeah. sense too. <laughs> that is another good parallel. Well, oh, yeah, life.
0: it's just so interesting because it's like the movie is clearly, to me at least, a co- like a cautionary tale. If it's doing that right to be like, well, Ethan as this rogue agent who is tr- highly trained and can do whatever and does is basically doesn't report to anybody officially like somehow he's the acceptable version of something that's out of of your control but the ai is not right of like the ai is just gonna do whatever and create chaos whereas ethan is like is like always been presented as an unpredictable chaotic force but one that you can point in the right direction kind of, you know mm. what I mean? Like, um, and is that just because like Ethan is a moral human and the AI is not human and that's where it sort of breaks down. But it's just interesting that the, like to to make the argument against something by way of paralleling it to your main character mm. is fascinating. Well, And it's also,
1: what is, what is the AI done yet? Like, you know, like, isn't the whole thing that like, well, it hasn't done anything, but it's, it snuck into all of these systems and just made its presence known and then receded. Like, I know that they talk about, like, we're in a post-truth world, but I I don't know if they say, and I might turn to Greg because he's the only one of us who's seen it more than once. That like, I don't know if they say, well, the the entity has actually been spreading disinformation or misinformation so much as, like, people are doing that. And that just affords the entity the opportunity to, like, accelerate it if and when it chooses to and we are just worried that it's going to do that you know outside of that one time it did what it seemed like it was sent to do on the submarine which is you know cause this problem and blow it up but then right now it's just sort of lying in wait and so maybe we ends up the entity actually is like in its own way a moral actor and is not trying to destroy the world it's more that people are scared and are reacting to it and Maybe it's an entity Ethan team up in in part two, and they, you know, they they actually take down the uh, <laughs> international intelligence system, and that's the end of this series. Best friend man, meme, but Haley Atwells being left behind for the yeah. <laughs> the entity. It's Haley entity. Atwell no longer uh, best friend. New, new best friend, the entity, and Ethan at the entity, uh, Thelma and Louise off a cliff at the end of the. the <laughs> <laughs> but but Tom, And Tom Cruise actually, yeah. Thelma Louise is off a cliff and that's the end. of It's of just
0: people. us against the world. You and me, um, entity.
1: He puts his hand out and there's just nothing that goes in it. <laughs> and then he grabs yeah. off the cliff.
2: Uh, I think you're right. And to me, that's part of what's brilliant about AI here is so much better than AI has ever been used anywhere else. But it is that combination of fear and opportunity fear opportunity, uh, where they're all afraid of what it could do because you're right. He says it's peeked into all the databases, proved it could do it, and is willing to do it again. And that has caused just in this room beneath them that they're trying to type out as analog all the records of the CIA. And that is awesome as just like a set piece of like, here's a million dudes typing on typewriters. Uh, you know, they're going to type Tale of Two Cities. Um, and and yet it, then it's also the opportunity. Then it's like, well, it's not that it's about to do anything. It's that we're going to to be able to use it to do what we want. And so um, I was Googling uh, quotes. uh, You know, another candidate for my opening quote is Kittredge at the beginning, your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over. This is our chance to control the truth. The concepts of right and wrong for everyone everyone for centuries to come you're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist never did you need to pick a side so the difference between ethan and the entity is ethan's on their side and they can trust him and his ideals and um god we haven't even mentioned them the two cia agents who are trailing him the whole time (laughs) there's a moment where one says to the other like like, shouldn't we just let him do his thing? Like, don't you trust that he's doing it for the right reasons? Maybe we should just let him do it. And I think that's what the government has done with Ethan forever, except at this one moment for some reason. I don't know. They're, they're another point where I don't totally understand what they're doing in this movie other than adding to chase scenes with a third layer at times. Um, And so I think because the entity does not have a side, that's actually more upsetting than... Anything like if it was an enemy, they'd know how to deal with it. If it was a friend, they wouldn't deal with it. But this is like it doesn't have a side. And that Mm -hmm. makes me I mean, we glanced over Gabriel just to make literal what's obvious, perhaps like Gabriel is the angel of death who spreads the word of the Lord. Right. And so him as direct acolyte, always being the one to. Uh, you know, as I understand Gabriel, which is, uh, I think he's in Milton more than he's in the Bible, but I don't know my Bible well. Um, is that he doesn't give the punishment; he announces the punishment usually, mm. right? And he's so, like the harbinger, exactly. So, so as like mouthpiece of Sauron to God. Um, here we again have like we are what is God about? But God is an awesome power, right? Something to be feared and something to be loved. Um, and I think that's exactly what they're going for with this. This uh and the way it functions, and uh, also Tom Cruise—he's to be feared and adored. So, <laughs> I,
1: I, I think the CIA agents who are great. What the—the the older one is uh, Shay Wigum. Uh, who I believe is contractually obligated to be in every HBO show. Um, they keep him in a in a box uh, on the on the HBO lot, and just like open him up and be like, "All right, you're a you're a preacher or you're a uh, a reporter, whatever." He's playing okay, a lot not... of cops. Yeah, yeah, he play... He's always sort of like shifty, shady shady guy, uh, Nucky's brother from Boardwalk Empire is how I will continue Mm -hmm. to initially remember him. Um, But I thought that they were after Ethan because they were like, well, Ethan has the key or Ethan knows where Ilsa is and Ilsa has the key. And so that's why they were sent initially was not like to stop Ethan necessarily, but like they were another sort of front in the war of like the CIA needs to get the key or America has to get the key. That that was my memory, but I could. Totally I thought it be
0: was wrong. that when Ethan announces he's going to kill the entity, they get sent after him,
1: to stop mm. him. That's
0: what I thought, but but I feel like both it could be both.
1: Yeah, right. It could they be could right.
0: just be. Um. So so
1: clean. I it's also, a totally clean movie. It all makes sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also, while I was watching, I mean, I they're they're amusing and they add to the comic relief every once mm. in a while in a way that's nice. Um but I also kind of had the thought of like, why are they here? Like what, like not, not in the story, but just like in the movie, like what, what, yeah. what do they, did we really need to pile them on, on top of all the other stuff? And the, the main thing I can think of is that, and this is so fascinating as a choice, because I think they actually serve the movie better as contributors to its themes than to its plot, which doesn't, which is like really And let me explain what I mean by that. So they are one of a series of characters who make a choice at the like, mm. and make a different choice than we expect at the end right so i would group them because they because and you you already said it right that um they're like oh what if ethan's what if he's the he's right and we're the bad guys like what like they kind of que- they start to question their own uh mandate because and like which side they're on by the end of the movie and i think one at least one of them actually does right i think the and I'm not going to remember his name. That's, that's terrible, but his Shay Wiggum's number Lieutenant, <laughs> let's say, yeah. right. He's the one who's like, like pretty early on is like, this doesn't feel right. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> and maybe he's the good guy and we're the bad guys. And like, uh, and so there's, I would group them. They have a little bit of a turn where they, they, they choose something different than what I've been told. And then I would group them with uh, Palm Clementine's character. Because she is the thing where Gabriel predicts it, but she still makes the turn of um, Ethan spared her life in the alleyway. And then she decides to betray Gabriel and help Ethan. Right. And then Grace, I think all of this is revolving around Grace because the Grace character starts out as being self-serving, doesn't care about anything else, doesn't care about the greater good. Right. It's just and is always kind of looking to her next score. Right. Mm. They kind of imply that she doesn't really have a plan (laughs) for her life. Right. She's just always been kind of skating from one thing to the next. And then Ethan offers her this choice to present her to wait. So there's stuff in the chat now. Clarify. So PT says. (laughs) Greg Tarzan Davis is Wiggins' partner. That's that's the the actor's name. And then is cut. Wait, who's Coyote?
1: He was Coyote in Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. Oh,
0: I forgot and about her. that.
1: I was also
2: googling Shea Wiggum and realized he was George Stacy in Across the Spider Verse, which was an amazing <gasps> performance too. Whoa. So, you know right, these guys. Right. It what what we're experiencing here is like this cast is so stacked. It's kind of a forgettable role, and yet they're really important, good actors. So, yeah, um,
0: props yeah. to them. But you're in the listening.
2: middle of
1: a, of a of a great point <laughs> and we started just like chatting to each other.
0: You're like it's okay fine. the
1: teacher the teacher's lecturing we're just going <laughs> to
0: <laughs> No, I mean I was I was basically at the end of my point anyway. But to me it's like the idea that the Grace character by and to me the movie the movie the better version of this movie is the one that just focuses on Grace as an mm. as a new Ethan Hunt and Mm -hmm. her formation as a new heathen hut so like i think if we start with her character as just like this like fast fast and loose uh con artist right who's always kind of like flitting from passport to passport and job like she's you know stealing this and stealing that and she doesn't she's always constantly on the run and that's that's kind of like no life there's no real life for her there or whatever right um and then by the end of the movie she's accepting the choice and presenting herself to kittredge to be like i want to join the imf Mm -hmm. right um that's a huge arc for that character and i feel like all of these other more minor characters are are echoing kind of her realization and then it plugs back into the ai thing because it's this idea of choice versus predestination right the ai's whole thing is like it can write your story for you right and all these characters are making choices that seem like it's like them having free will to write their own stories as opposed to having the, having someone else predict it and tell dictate it for them.
2: I I think that's right. And so smart to, to, pinpoint the fact that choice is is a part of this story in a major way and and that's why I think um some of the critics have been like, you know what stinks about these movies the scenes between the action um <laughs> set pieces and they're not wrong they're they're tough hangs uh compared to you know jumping off a cliff but um almost all of those are what you're saying are about choices like we should make this choice oh we can't make this choice or how do we know it doesn't know we know that we made this choice and and so I think the the film seems to be coming down on choice not mattering or being so predictable and yet it seems like the only hope is to make choices that are so unpredictable that it can't figure it out like it won't figure out you're going to jump off a cliff um and yeah it it, it seems like that's uh, an unsettled question i can see the whole next movie being about the craziest, weirdest choices, almost like everything everywhere. They're just going to like pull out gum from other people's mouths or whatever. Uh, But it could be, let's break the algorithm this way, or maybe it's going to be that. No, even if your choice is predictable, your choice still matters. And maybe there's a piece of Ilsa's choice that might reinforce that. Right. Like, she the whole idea that one of them had to die that night is still too convoluted to me. But like the fact that she knew she was going to die if she stuck around and she stuck around. I mean, they they say that about her at the beginning. Ethan always gets her out and she comes back and um, she's she could have just run, like he said. But she said, no, I'm going to come back and I'm going to save Grace, I guess, by dying. I don't know. I that's. <laughs> Emotionally, I don't like that part of the movie, so I haven't been able to like grapple with to, like, it. Actually, it yeah. yeah. It's tough.
1: Wait, what What is it you said? He always gets her out and then she comes back in <laughs> Dead Reckoning Part 2? Could be. <laughs> uh, I, I I I do think that this, yeah, the 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 end one of the endpoints of this of this, you know, long, you know, take it taken together the Dead Reckoning story across the two movies is going to have to be Ethan Hunt making making a choice that is unpredictable, which like I mean, my initial instinct on it is like he's gonna kill one of like his friends. Like he's gonna have to do that because that's his whole thing is I never you know, I protect my friends at all costs, I never sacrifice them. And he will like make that choice to like undermine to what the algorithm does. Yeah. Uh, um which you know, Mission I'm Impossible,
0: put... opposite day. <laughs> basically what we're describing.
2: <laughs> well, Dead reckoning, right? So the navigational mm-hmm. sense, right? Like when you've lost all your signposts and don't know how to navigate, then what do you do? Uh I'm just gonna put in my careless speculation. I'm in the camp that thinks this is building to Ethan's death. Um mm. there's a lot of Jesus in this movie, right? Besides the Gabriel we already talked about. The whole MacGuffin is a cross. It's let me unite the halves of the cruciform key and damn it if i didn't every single time be like the brother of the cruciform sword uh but it's a key the cruciform key um he goes a wandering in the desert (laughs) to atone Mm -hmm. for his sins uh and then comes back um and so it just seems to me this is building to ethan finally sacrifices himself to save the world i don't know maybe that's been done too much lately i won't Random spoil other franchises, but there's a franchise that's awful similar to this and is in a cold war with this one where they just did this, so maybe they won't uh,
1: the the only I think that makes a lot of sense, and when when Jen was saying earlier like the whole the whole story revolves around grace. I was also thinking how like oh, there's a lot of religious undertones to uh, to what's been <laughs> unfolding um but uh the the only pushback i'll say on that is i don't know if Tom Cruise will ever. Uh, let he himself die That's um, Although it would be very in line With smart Tom Cruise smart marketing To have him out there being like I want to be like Harrison Ford And doing this character when I'm 80 uh, When he already knows that his he's already filmed The death of, of his character In the next movie
0: It would be like Tom Cruise to think that he could rewrite the Bible Though <laughs> You know <laughs> like he'd be like But he, he's <laughs> not, not. Have The gall to do that
2: is he'll die and he'll be resurrected right Right. so like yeah three three days later he he will live forever
1: (laughs) just like his friend lazarus i mean Elsa.
0: oh my gosh you get (laughs) you're not gonna let this go uh it's torture because i don't think she's coming back um yeah i think yeah i i mean that would be kind of an epic end to this franchise but once I start thinking about what we know about the franchise and about Tom Cruise and how he basically just wants to keep doing this forever, then suddenly I'm like, well then how would that work in the context of this? I'm not sure. But yeah, but if you, if you compare it to John wick, then having the all but actual death and then, re- and then all right. quote, I, I, I was actually direction. referencing
2: bond. So it just shows that three of them have done it lately.
0: <laughs> oh true. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I forgot about that. That's right. Um, right. So the, yeah, like the, But it does feel like we are careening towards some kind of big end point. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, and there's so many references to this one to All Out War. I want to believe All Out War is the next movie. And that would be kind of exciting if we had to take this all out of the kind of Cold War and into a hot war. But Mm. I don't know. That also sounds really expensive and hard to shoot.
0: And and Mission Impossible, from what I'm remembering now, has never really had big military battles in it ever right no like it's I, kind of the the whole point is that it's not that it's use a scalpel instead of a hammer yeah
1: I, I i just realized that like what this is all building towards is tom cruise insisting they film in eastern ukraine uh and just being like that's that's the next oh, movie because no. <laughs> he just goes into an actual war zone to film yeah. to film part of it
0: yeah <laughs> Uh, um if there's nothing that we've left behind in the google doc i think we can move on to the rhetorical situation a lot of this we've already started everything that all the like the notes that we had in here in the for this section we've already started talking about some of it um yeah. so be the only more, like, thing deepening it,
1: I, yeah the only thing i want to i want to say which because like i feel like we have been talking about and i think this is partly at least for me the like i was excited to talk to you guys about this and the things that kind of stuck in my craw the things i was worried about um I, I we haven't really talked about the question of like what's our what's your favorite sequence or like what's your favorite like moment and I think we are all generally positive on this movie with all <laughs> these things that we're sort of picking at reservations. Um, the Rome car chase is absolutely incredible and is so good. You know, one of the best act. You know, so one of the best action sequences, like probably since like the action sequences in Fallout five years ago, the, per-
0: particularly after- when.
1: They switch seats. Is that what you're
2: gonna
0: yeah, say? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> yes. what I was gonna say.
1: Yep.
0: You know, how how Grace keeps ending up in the driver's seat when she doesn't want to be.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's so funny. And Palm Clementif just gleefully destroying things with her giant Hummer and like oh, yeah. how much like joy she's getting out of like running over a, a bunch of motorcycles was uh
0: excellent. She's having a great time. The the funniest part for me actually, like I you know, I loved I love that entire sequence. I thought it was amazing. My, the funniest part to me was when Ethan has to find a safe car and then it's then they reveal it's the fiat but then he like can't get it to work and yeah. what he says in that moment just I was cracking up where he's like well like he, he's basically trying to make excuses for himself
3: yeah,
2: I like, well, oh, they
0: always set these up a little bit differently, and she's like, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> like,
2: so well, see, see, I mean, those are, I'll, I'll just say, it, those are impotence jokes. Uh, yes, it's like brilliant way. And Haley's response is exactly like what a supportive partner would be like. Yes, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, like Of course, like, yeah. of course. <laughs> everyone deals <laughs> oh, with this oh, sometimes. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So it's so good. Uh, those are really fun. The 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 fiat coming out got just uproars of laughter each screening I was at, like the crowd died. Yeah, same. Um, you know, perhaps the biggest laugh I've heard in the theater this year so far. Um, although um, Hel- Helena punching Indy got a huge laugh when I resaw that movie. <laughs> so um, that's also up there. Uh, I'm going to just, we should be positive. Let me just in passing say it shocked me. The parachute dive was not the opening stunt. I thought they were marketing right. that so heavily because it would be like the plane in the in the fourth one, fifth one, mm-hmm. fifth one, that it was like, hey, we're just in the middle of an adventure and you see this. But the fact that it built to that, I was like, oh, this is like the big stun is crazy. But uh, for me, the train and if uh, I don't know if you all saw when I saw Indiana Jones, they had a behind the scenes piece on the train um, falling. And, and they showed so they they really threw a locomotive off a bridge um, and then they dangled the the train cars. They built each of those train cars from scratch. So they designed every element in them, every piece of the kitchen, every piece of the dining car. And then they gimballed it sideways and had them climb up through this train and they just slowly destroyed it. And um, particularly, you know. That The athleticism of that, there are some digital effects, um, particularly like the sand or the rocks crumbling on the thing, don't hold up that well and kind of are obvious. But what the two of them did to get through that train is just really amazing and, and incredibly well choreographed. Again, a shout out to the editing too, that it's all incredibly clear. And it's like, you know, I... I am sure Neil deGrasse Tyson is already ready to like debunk the physics of it, but it's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Each time one of these is falling, it tips way up and then the next one slams down. It's like, I get it. And I get to see that and knew exactly what was going on. So that was my favorite is, is from the, from the locomotive crash through the end of that sequence.
0: I thought that sequence was paced really well too, because that it's sort of like, because each car has different stuff in it it kind of escalates or like there's a like a reveal of like oh no there's a piano (laughs) (laughs) right what is that gonna do um uh, yeah i thought that that part of the train sequence i think was my favorite of the whole movie Mm -hmm. where because because there's so much at stake between the two of them as well in terms of like he has she has to kind of she's sort of forced to trust him with her life but it's also like a point. I think it's a turning point for her character where she really is forged in the fire in a lot of ways where it's like she goes from when we first meet her to she's just basically a like a really good pickpocket. And then we and then the realization of the, the car chase where it's like, oh, she's not a spy. Right. She's a thief. She's not a spy. So she doesn't really know how to do a high speed chase. Um, So that to me made it really believable that she would be sort of like on un, 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 unfamiliar territory in a situation like the tr- the train car is falling.
1: Yeah. Uh, there was an article yesterday, I think, uh, sometime over the weekend in the LA Times, uh, that was specifically about the train the making of the train sequence. Uh and uh, you know, it, it talked about to uh you know to Greg's point of like they you know that they, they did some of it in a studio where they had it like hanging, but they also did have it like hanging over Some some high height and Haley Atwell talking about how like Tom was like just don't you should not look down because (laughs) like you can see the trees uh, and they're very far away and uh, and that the moment which which I think got the biggest laugh even bigger than the Fiat um in when the piano is like starting to fall and uh and ethan is just like okay like i'm basically i'm gonna jump over there and then you're gonna jump and i'm gonna catch you and he's like do you trust me and she shakes her like no like i absolutely (laughs) don't um and but that apparently was improvised because that was what Haley Atwell was feeling in that moment was Mm. like no i don't trust any of this um this is crazy uh and um you know and, and it made it into the movie um I'm 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 gonna go slightly negative. The last negative thing that I had was there are I feel like it felt like there were more CGI touch-ups in this than there are there have been in the last few, and there always are those little like touch-ups in rewatching them. You're sort of like oh yeah, I guess. Like there is, there is some moments where it looks like, you know, maybe Tom Cruise isn't riding a motorcycle without a helmet through the middle of Paris all the time, but this is the other cars at least are green screened in afterwards um, or whatever composited in afterwards. Um, But I I did feel like it, it was to the detriment of that scene that like, there was enough times where they were touching up the things that were falling or maybe it was like the background, like what was happening sort of outside the train car looked like it got a little, a little touched up digitally where I was like in my head, I was like, I know they filmed this practically because I've heard enough about it and seen some photographs of it, but it doesn't look as real as like the jumping out of the, uh, you know, hanging on the side of the plane or jumping doing the helo jump um, in fallout. Uh, or the the Burj Khalifa thing. And so I think that was somewhat of a detriment um, because it looked like, oh, well, this is all fake, so whatever. Um, But but the sequence is great and the pacing. And again, in that article, Macquarie talks about how like, you know he snuck uh in, he snuck a a suspense scene into his action movie and so instead of the the climax of the movie being a big action thing, it is this very slow kind of deliberate literal slow motion train crash of uh of just trying to climb up and going kind of uh step by step um which I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, that was probably in second place for me. I'm just going to give an honorable mention to um, the airport. I think it's Abu Dhabi, the airport thing, where you got Simon Pegg working on the bomb and Tom Cruise is trying to avoid people. That was just a great, like... you know a classic like you know first act end of first act mission impossible like we've got like five or six characters each sort of with their own motivations doing their own thing um how they don't want
0: to tell him that was the best part for me yeah they don't want to tell him and
1: there's there's one moment where uh you know ethan slipped away and then you've got like a a good shot of shay wigum and greg tarzan davis being like well where the hell where is he like he's got to be here somewhere and like it kind of like like the camera moves enough that you can see like in the background, oh, yeah. like Ethan's like doing Tom, <laughs> it's a Tom Cruise running on the roof. And it's just like, well, I know that's Tom Cruise. Cause I know that only Tom Cruise can run that way. <laughs> so he was really, you know, up on the roof running just so you could see his silhouette uh, through, uh, uh, through sun-soaked windows. Probably, um, probably
2: in like 120 degrees, which I'm only right, And probably he, he was that. like, I need to do 10 takes
1: to make sure I hit it. <laughs> um, I, one other thing I'll say is I, you know, I think because we saw so much of it, the, um, uh, I think it actually like I, I loved watching the behind the scenes thing about the motorcycle jump into the parachute. Um, I think the actual you know, uh, impact in the movie for me was muted because it was like cooler to watch the behind the scenes thing than yeah. what we actually got. Um, but it all also almost felt like that was edited. To like with the knowledge that like a bunch of you have already seen this so like (laughs) we're going to kind of move past it like you think this is a big deal, but we're going to get back to the train and uh, we actually want you to forget about Ethan for a minute so like we can have him Mm. uh, crash into the scene literally, Um, but I I did see. Uh, I I think it was Simon Pegg uh, posted uh, or at least it's a video from Simon Pegg of like the rest of the cast being there which was not in the sort of behind the scenes thing but it's like him Rebecca Ferguson Shea uh Greg Tarzan Davis uh, Vanessa Kirby they're all just off to the side and it's them like watching him do it and them being like holy crap like this is it and Simon <laughs> Pegg is like every movie this is every movie he's just <laughs> we're just seeing and, like we have to just deal with it and like it like they end and they get the like alert of like yeah it was great like he landed it's fine and simon Pegg starts crying because like it's like he's clear that he just thinks that, like he's going to watch tom cruise die like oh, making one of these
0: groupers. right right
1: um and that's that's um, so funny to like, think
0: that like the the fear has not worn off but right? he's right. still just as like worried for him yeah. <laughs> for tom cruise oh my goodness i my favorite part of the the motorcycle jump was actually like the lead up to it where he keeps like, be- like he keeps being like, all right, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. And then finally he was like, he says to Benji, like, all right, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, jump. Like, <laughs> and he's like, what? Like, my opening, that was really quote.
1: funny. And now I wish this had been my opening quote. So I didn't take Craig's, but my opening quote was almost, when do I start going downhill? Um, <laughs> because I think that was the best part of it. And he's like, pretty soon.
2: Well, <laughs> Like, I so my wrong prediction in my seat was that the AI was leading him up the hill because all uh, of a sudden Simon Pegg is using satellite tracking and a self driving car. I'm like, didn't we just have a long time on oh, right. using analog technology? Mm, like, sure. I it, it was wrong, or it wasn't a piece of that. So,
0: I feel like that's probably what we're gonna. I'm hoping that's what we get in part two is that they have to strip down. Like they have to basically have to figure out ways to do all the things they would normally do, but without the digital technology, right? Mm. Um, and go and go analog, go like find the the equivalent of the CAA's like Cold War room, right? That hasn't been used yeah. in 20 years or whatever, um, and do more of an analog problem solving. I think that would be really fun. Agreed. Agreed. But I guess we're on predictions for Dead Reckoning Part Two. Greg, let it rip.
2: Uh, ooh, geez. I mean, so I was on, uh, I'm not on Twitter cause I'm too woke. Uh, so I was on threads this morning and McHugh was answering questions and somebody said, what's the answer to the question we should be asking, but nobody is or something like that. And he said 15 and I'm like, okay, so there's a giant, giant stunt that Tom Cruise had to do 15 times next time <laughs> is immediately where my head went. I mean, I think this brand has become bigger and bigger spectacle. This is not the movie that, um, Tom Cruise is going to space for. I think that's a different movie, right? Mm. Um, but I, uh, it almost feels like we have to go to space. Like he'll be the only one who can go shut down the satellite that the entity is in or something. Um, you know, there's also a ton of casting news out there, which it's uh, like what well, we added so much and we're going to add more. I have to imagine some of the people we met this time around won't be back, but um, like uh, God, uh, Rebecca from Ted Lasso, Hannah. Oh, Wadingham, Wadingham? She's in the next one. I mean, maybe she's just, maybe she's just in a booth or in a room talking through something like, like some of these figures we've talked about today, but um. You know, well, and and it was funny because uh, I think you all talked about uh, I spent my London vacation finding Mission Impossible things around London. And there was no London in this one, which is very different for this franchise. We've been in London, I think, not in number two and maybe not in the third, but every other one has had something in London, I think is right. or we'll That sounds to... right check the tape on that. But, um, so I'm expecting some London. They did film a bunch in the UK. I think most of the train was actually done in the UK, but, um, I want some London. Um, and you know, I think the doubling is going to be present in the form of grace and Ethan. Um, I think grace might be the person on the inside now, right? Cause if she's really becoming an agent, she's not going to just be at, Ethan Beck and call. Right. Um, You know, uh, and then last irresponsible speculation, I said this when Jen pointed to the picture of Tom Cruise eating popcorn like a normal human, just pretending he could. I mean, no way he didn't just spit that out. (laughs) It looks so wrong. Yeah. Um, He's got really long hair right now. Not quite mission impossible to throw on some Oakley's hair, but the hair is long. So I'm expecting a time jump. Um, between these films and I'm not sure
1: how long it will be but mm. it could be long could be decent you you don't think he had long hair in the past and that's like that's for the flashback scenes i mean
2: brilliant if they take us back to uh, Anthony Hopkins Mission Impossible two times, but uh, <laughs> I no, because it's not exactly any previous. Uh, if you listen to the Light the Fuse podcast, every time they have a famous guest on, they ask them to rank the hair styles, not the movies. <laughs> like what rank the hair uh, through these uh, films? And uh, it's not like any of the previous. I don't think it mm. feels a little different. It's not Mission Impossible too long. Mission Impossible Three is like a little long. Um, Mission Impossible Two is like what the one Harry Potter movie where all the kids suddenly have long hair and then they all go back to crew cuts after. So I feel like
1: I think it's I think it's some new time period. So that's my guess. I like it. Uh, I mean, my my easiest prediction is it's not going to make uh, the, it's June twenty eighth to twenty twenty four release date. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Uh, unfortunately, um, I I like all of Greg's predictions uh i'll I'll go back earlier i mean he said that he thinks it's building up to ethan sacrifice himself i think that someone is sacrificed Uh, you know i think that's that seems pretty clear i think it has to be one of luther or benji if it's not ethan um which is uh i mean just a bummer i there is a moment at the end where we have kittredge doing the voiceover which it does feel like it's a direct address to ethan like as if he's like left a message for him somewhere And there's something about like, you know, like there, it's either you, there will be sacrifices or, you know, there there will be great costs. And it cuts to Simon Pegg at that point. So I'm sort of like, I feel like Benji is being set up, you know, and the movies are all about sort of upending what you think, but the end of the movie felt like, oh, I mean, Ben, I think Benji's, going to be cooked uh, by the end of the next one which i wouldn't love but you know if if the ideas were getting closer and closer to the end you know that seems possible um i also uh, uh is this irresponsible speculation i uh, probably um i think they get to the submarine way earlier than we think in the same way that like thanos was killed in end game like way earlier than we probably expected um i think they get to the sub in the first like half hour of the next movie and like that isn't what's important or whatever. Like there's a thing. And is that because, oh no, we have to get, it's left or the source code's moved. We got to get it somewhere else. Um, or is it that like the, the, the fallout to use a different uh, installment um, of what has happened is uh, uh, is actually what needs to be um, unpacked. Um, and again, you know, in the, um, if, if there are potential end game parallels, that would be then the moment of like, okay, five years later, like what's what's going on and what's happening. So um, yeah, I could uh, I could see that, and I feel like I had other ideas, but I can't remember them right now. So Jen, you can you can predict.
0: Sure, um, I predict that we get a voiceover that's anti-Kittridge. So because um. I think in terms of the arc that Ethan's on, that that voiceover with Kittredge bookends this movie with. Cause it's kind of like telling him he's, you know, he's going to have to pay for all of it. Th- like it's like, yeah, it's positioning the reckoning. Right. But I feel like to counter that we're going to need to make the character arc emotionally satisfying between these two movies. I think we're going to need someone having to reassure Ethan that he's actually, he's just doing his best or something like that. You know what I mean? That like, or that he's done so much to help so many people or like something that's going to be kind of like a little pep talk. Um, Maybe that's that's like a a message from Ilsa posthumously or something like that. If you're reading this, I'm dead kind of thing. The um, hologram
2: she left in Iron Man's helmet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel I feel like there has to be something to kind of like rebut what we got in this film for Ethan as a character. Um, so that's kind of my prediction. The other thing, too, is like I've, I saw someone post that you can categorize. All Mission Impossible movies, as some of them are vertical and some of them are horizontal, with the stu- emphasis of the stunts. Um, I think they also went. This person made made the next argument that like all the vertical ones are the good ones. <laughs> um, huh. I don't know if that holds up, but but I feel like maybe if if I feel like because this is these are two parts of the same story, the stunts are going to have to complement each other somehow mm-hmm. in terms of like. Because we can't just do the same thing again, right? He can't just do another motorcycle jump. He's gonna—they're gonna have to change it up. So I don't know what that is. Um, maybe, maybe it's going by plane. <laughs>
2: right? Maybe. No, the oh right when he the preview at one of the producer or the movie vendor thing was him on top of a biplane, but in very like um, stunt person like air show fashion so i don't know i think they maybe just did that to be provocative maybe it'll be
0: a, an abandoned helicopter that doesn't have a computer system that's up to date
1: fourteen i like the idea that it's like no no the biplane was not part of the movie that was just tom cruise's weekly biplane uh standing <laughs> that he does um you know just take me up and i'll stand on this on, on the wing here
0: Maybe Grace is the one that's going to sacrifice herself.
1: Great, uh, it would be great if another woman died,
0: right? Uh, I mean, or Ethan Hunt. It tracks, um, but I mean, like, for her to for her arc between the two movies to go from she doesn't care at all to being the one who ultimately saves the world, I think that could, other than the friggin component, that would, could be compelling. Like, yeah. I could see them writing it.
1: <laughs> see, I, I I wonder if uh, Will Haley Atwell be the new. Uh, the person that Jeremy Renner was supposed to be, of mm. like, look, when Tom Cruise is finally wants to just switch to producing, or he wants She's to be, the heir. he wants to just be the secretary in these movies. Um, she can be the one who's out, out on the scene. Now, I, I, I do want to, I know we want to get to the rhetorical situation, and I know this is maybe cliche. I, I just want to real briefly talk about how old Tom Cruise is, um, because he's not young. Uh, he's sixty one years old that's uh now he's not a normal human being for all the reasons we have we have discussed um and you know the the Wilford Brimley in Cocoon is always the sort of clear <laughs> like demarcation line he's 10 years older than Wil- Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon playing an old man um poor Wilford was only 51 uh the diabetes hit hard for him I guess <laughs> um but I I did do a little like poking around of like other famous actors and where they were in their career and what they were performing. So, um, at 61, Sean Connery was uh, doing his cameo in Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves as King Richard. It was a year after Hanford October, two years after Last Crusade. Um, so again, uh, two. So Sean Connery two years younger than Tom Cruise is now in Last Crusade. Um, Jack Nicholson was in As Good as It Gets. That was that was where Jack Jack was at this point. Um, Meryl Streep was in the year between It's Complicated and The Iron Lady. Um, so again, old, old person so role. In the makeup in, chair, getting ready. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um Tom Tom Hanks, who I feel like, you know, it's like, oh, Tom Hanks, he's like eternally young as well. He was in the post. He was being uh Ben Bradley in the post. Wow. Yeah, pretty much an old man. Um, Humphrey Bogart had been dead for four years. Uh, he died at age 57. Oh, uh, Tommy real. Lee Jones in No Country for Old Men. Wow. Literally an old man <laughs> uh, according to the title of the movie. Um, and uh, at age 61 is the year that Alec Guinness began filming Star Wars as Obi-Wan hey, no. Kenobi. Which is wild. It's as wild as he's out there doing it, hanging from trains.
0: I don't know. I feel like he's still got it. I don't know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Tom Cruise pretty good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Really? he he looks good i don't know and the i feel like i saw an instagram video that was like someone interviewing him about his um training routine or like what's your and his answer was basically just like like he didn't have any secret to it he was just like i just try to pace myself so if i know that i'm doing like <laughs> if i know how many takes it's going to take to do a running thing and I make sure the next day I'm doing a jumping thing <laughs> or something like that. It was really funny. Um, i like, how oh, that makes sense. So he doesn't burn himself out uh, or injure himself. I guess maybe is the other thing too. Um, I don't know. Apparently, it brings him great joy. <laughs> and <laughs> um, all right, so we're at yet again. We're we're well over the two hour mark, and we're at a crossroads. I think we could either dip into rhetorical situation or do a quick oscars update what say you
1: i mean should we we can hand wave away maybe the rhetorical situation to say a lot of the stuff about ai and post truth. we kind of already talked about it yeah technology is relevant there as well
0: okay um, all,
2: all ideas of knowledge and truth especially in academia are up in the air right now in much the way these things are and how do we construct truth how do we demonstrate knowledge what is a meaningful way to do those things are open questions in our field right now dun 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 dun
3: boop um maybe we'll have
0: we'll have more to say about that because our field will have evolved more by the time did reckoning part two comes out so we can set make sure we set aside more time to talk about it then in like four years or (laughs) whatever this is uh but yeah but yeah all the things that tom cruise is worried about we as teachers also worried about i guess is Mm -hmm. my short version of that anyway so yeah oscars watch i mean obviously as we covered in the other mission impossible the retrospective episode not a lot of oscars history here at all um and not a lot of love necessarily like i feel like it's very rare that mission impossible movies ever even enter the oscars conversation is any of that likely to change um or it you know what is what is sort of the and then, and then if if the answer is just a short no, then you can throw in some other Oscars stuff.
2: <laughs> I think the answer is no. I think Top Gun. Got the like, hey, you're doing great things for our industry nomination, even with 10 nominees again. I just I don't think they this rises to that level unless this is somehow an unbridled commercial success. But I always go back to Top Gun was the number one movie on Memorial Day and Labor Day. And that's madness and just doesn't happen anymore. And and nothing this summer is going to do that and be at that level. I think their emphasis on practical effects um, means they don't get the visual effects nomination. Other blockbusters do, which is totally fair, but I'm sure the the
0: token, the token blockbuster nomination is. Yeah. Um,
2: I also, the question I want to throw it to you two on is I think we're all in the camp of there should be an Oscar for best stunt, And Mm -hmm. yet if you have to give it to Tom Cruise, is that like, undermining the reasoning behind that, right? Like, the idea would be to recognize a piece of the industry that gets too little credit for incredible work. The whole point of these is that he really does this all himself. He, whatever level of truth that has on a given moment is up for debate for for much of it. So like, oh, we're going to finally do it. And here, we're giving it to Tom Cruise. Does that mean it undercuts the point of it? I don't know.
1: I think it might. I mean, I, I think the, the um, proposal... Not an actual proposal, but just sort of uh, talking about it proposal that I've seen, which makes sense is that it would be like a best choreography. So it would be stunts, but also potentially like dancing and and you know musical uh, performance type things. Um, and which means we would go to this like the stunt coordinator. <clears throat> so even if Tom Cruise is the one performing the stunts, you know Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell are in the dangling train, uh, you know almost all the time, if not all the time, um, it's the coordinator who like planned it all out and figured it is the the technician who should be awarded for that, um, and uh, you know I I don't think even Tom Cruise would be like I did that. Like actually, that was me, uh, and so you know I think he would be uh, it would be all right with that. But um, but yeah, he, he wouldn't be at the ceremony anyway. Wah, wah. It's true he wouldn't be. <laughs> well, I I hate to say it, I, I said that thinking about how the only competitive Oscar that um I don't even think competitive the only. Um, you know, uh, uh, from, from a direct movie non-honorary Oscar that Stanley Kubrick won was for the visual effects of 2001, which he didn't do. He just mm. oversaw the visual effects people, but he put his name down as like, well, I was in charge, so I did that. <laughs> um, and so he got, he got an Oscar, which is, you know, not great, Stanley. Um, you know, maybe, maybe uh, share it. Give, give Douglas Trumbull his Oscar. Um, for it. But, uh, but I, yeah, I think that, you know, since there is no stunt uh, performance or stunt choreography uh, category, the only thing that this movie might get is like a sound um, because that is what Top Gun actually won last year. And if there's no other, I I think it's really dependent on there being no other um, or a lack of five other movies that kind of um, have enough technical component to it um, within the sort of uh, a standard uh, pool of contenders for the year um, that might get that, or, you know, if there's no other blockbuster that kind of rises up to the top. Um, and and that's both in terms of quality and also commercial success at this point. Um, you know, I think that this came in under expectations for opening weekend in terms of money, they had to sort of shave it down a little. It's actually closer to, uh dial of destiny then i think people like predicted they were like well this movie will far outgross it Uh, worldwide it did worldwide it made a lot more money um but it actually made almost like within a million dollars of um of indie uh which was seen as a big disappointment uh and this movie with a similarly large budget is you know that's a question mark but it might have a lot of legs might end up churning away to be a huge blockbuster but you've got like, you know, Oppenheimer might also be a big blockbuster. What if like Barbie is like a movie that runs away and gets 500, 600 million dollars. And it's just like, well, yeah, Barbie had sound too. So we'll dominate that um, instead of this. So I think that it has to be like the, 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 the the best received movie that made a lot of money uh, that like, by the time we get to Oscar season um, for it to even like sniff getting into a category. And since it hasn't so far, and I, I feel like even the people who like this movie are like, well, it wasn't as good as the last few, mm. then, you know, that that's not a good recipe for any any success.
0: All right. Any final thoughts? I think we're going to wrap up. Good movie. Good movie. <laughs> Good movie, yes. really fun. I
2: mean, I, I think it's right when we pick things apart, we tend to get into nitty gritty. Like, this should have been two hours talking about the stunts and then like a half hour of the plot, if you're right. like measuring my enjoyment of it. But it's just not, there's a few things to say about like, it's so cool. Um, but it is so cool and really worth seeing. Um, And like PT said, this will be one I watch forever, right? Um, You know, I I do think the narrative is going to become the box office tanks next weekend, like huge drop off, not because of the quality of this, but everybody's going to Barbie and Oppenheimer. So who's left to go, uh, you know, and maybe that's why they snuck it out a little early. But I did also want to note, I went to Indy yesterday and it was just about sold out. Now, it was in a very small theater compared to the opening weekend, but like, I think Indy's ticking away. I think it just crossed three hundred million, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, Maybe which it is has the purported legs. budget. I think, but you know, I think, I think there's a like, hey, we, my kids already saw Elemental. Hey, why not? You know, let's take them to Indiana Jones. I'll at least like it. So there might be some likes there.
1: I do think the word of mouth on Indie is better than the initial reviews made it seem. Yeah. Um, I, I I will be seeing it for a second time in in three and a half hours. So <gasps> I'm exciting. I'm excited for for a second a second dip.
2: I'm- I saw it for my fourth time in the theater where the UK premiere was, and it made my life so
0: nice. Look <laughs> at you with your fancy. Could you,
1: could you smell Harrison Ford's musk? Like I lingering assumed, in I was air? in his
2: chair based on the smell, but um, yes. you know,
1: there's some there's
2: some musky Brits as well. So uh, uh, <laughs> if if anybody happens to go, they uh, part of the premiere over there is they put up a big statue of Indiana Jones in Leicester Square, so you can go stand oh, with Indy now and fun. pose with him. You all can also do that in California. I know not your part of California, but up in San and Selmo, they have a big mm-hmm. indie statue. So, just adding
1: tidbits. Well, and Jen, and I will say, I mean, I'm going to my to the theater where I have the pass, because so I don't have to pay extra. Um, but maybe at some point we have to coordinate um, before. I think there's like one or two more weeks of it. Uh, it's playing at the El Capitan, which is the theater right across from the Chinese theater in the heart of Hollywood, um, which is uh, the uh, the opposite of glamorous. Uh, but it's a Disney-owned theater, so it's staying there a little bit longer. will not be crammed out by uh, Barbie Oppenheimer. And they apparently have a bunch of the props, including the original Ark of the Covenant is there in the, oh, wow. in the lobby. Um, uh, so so maybe maybe we have to coordinate. We may need
0: to make that visit happen. Visit there. Yeah. Um, this week is all about Barbenheimer, though. Uh, <laughs> two movies in one weekend—that's a lot for me.
1: <laughs> so, and, and, and don't forget the theater camp is also uh, expanding for all yeah, all of you I'm, who are interested. Oh, that's
0: right. Yes. Oh, that movie was—I've seen that movie. I saw it at Sundance. It's amazing. It's so funny. If you are at all a theater kid at heart or otherwise, that's a must see. It's it's great. Um, so yeah, big. Big weekend at the movies. Um, I know I'm going to be. Are
2: you doing the double feature? And if whether or not you are, are you which order are you doing? Both of you, I want to know. So I'm
0: not going to answer this obtusely like Tom Cruise did, Uh, (laughs) where he tried to. He really tried. He really tried to say, "I'm going to see both both at the same." He just can't watch both at the same time. (laughs) Not even Tom Cruise. Um, So I am going to see, and this was largely dictated by wet availability of the imax 70 millimeter theater that i live near um so i'm gonna see it's like a 10 30 a.m showing of oppenheimer on friday and then i'm going to see barbie saturday afternoon um Mm. it's a it's a mom's day out with a couple other friends like friends whose kids are friends with my kids so um that that should be and they're they're definitely the crowd where like the high nostalgia factor that's i was like i should go see this with them because (laughs) like even if the movie is just okay like it's gonna be really fun like from a trip down memory lane and stuff because we were we already like talking about all the all the barbie stuff that we used to have when we were kids um and how our parents saved some of it but not like and so like and how most barbie stuff from the 80s is just disintegrating now
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> because of the way they
0: just made the toys, like they weren't built to last, you know, reasonably <laughs> not built to last until now. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that'd be, yeah. So that's the, I'm doing it. I'm doing it a two day. I'm not, a, it's an extended lengthier double feature. Um, but it's going to be totally worth it because I, I did research, I sent this to, to both of you off mic, but I did research on, there are only like 16 theaters between fifteen and twenty, I can't remember. I think it's sixteen, but there's only between fifteen and twenty theaters that have the optimal IMAX seventy millimeter mm. setup for Oppenheimer, and the one the that's ten minutes from my house is one of them. So, nice. I'm very excited. No, um, I'm
1: I'm doing the same order. It's spread out across more days because I uh, made the mistake. Well, I I it wasn't a mistake to travel to Europe. <laughs> but I was in Europe when the tickets went on sale for mm. Barbie. Uh, my mistake was being like, Yeah, 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 Barbie's gonna be popular, but will it be that popular? Um, and uh the, the Alamo draft house where um I now have like the monthly pass, like Greg's Stubbs package. Um I think they call it the season pass. Package I mean, Stubbs? That's insulting. Your 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 package stubs. Uh, is that what's called AMC Stubbs? is that yeah, am I wrong? Yeah. Um, I was making a CNS joke. You 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 stub man. Um but, uh, uh yeah, that like it, the the whole weekend is sold out. Like every wow. every well, I shouldn't say the whole weekend, the like late night showings had some seats, but uh as as I believe mentioned on an earlier par- podcast, uh Jasmine has made it clear this is her Star Wars. She's like, I need to see this movie. Um so then it started to like crash into like her having a job. Um so we're going on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm seeing Oppenheimer uh, Friday afternoon, a Friday morning showing as well. Um, Not 70 millimeter IMAX. I'm seeing it 35. I'm going to hold off for the IMAX, the big IMAX, the best IMAX screen in LA at the Chinese theater is that sold out for like three weekends um, straight. So, uh, so that, I mean, not sold out, but like, you know, it's all the way on the edges or all the way in yeah. front, which I'm, I'm not doing. Um, so yeah, the second screening, which will be the Oppenheimer screening with Jasmine might have to wait a couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, but yeah, we're going Tuesday uh, next week for Barbie. Cause that's when, She's able to get out of work a little bit early and we're doing like a late afternoon, um, which was the only one that had two ticket, two seats next to each other um, Mm -hmm. for those. That was the first screening we could go to that had two seats next to each other by the time we booked tickets. So I got a little delay.
2: I, did, I mean, both of you are just explaining that people who do not love movies are going to Barbie. So I yes. just can only think this will be insanely big. They did play the trailer at my Indiana Jones screening yesterday and all the kids were excited. Um, and <laughs> so it's like whatever it is, if it can work on the the kind of Lego movie works for kids, but adults really find it. Fun, I think it's just going to do incredible box office. Uh, I, of course, am a real one, so I am going six thirty p.m. Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. ten fifteen Barbie, which means I basically have to run across the lobby. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, AMC. That means they don't actually start for a half hour after that, right. but You, you know, time. so I think you get time it's to refill be really your
0: popcorn. Cool. Right.
2: Yes, because well, my package but, includes lots of free popcorn refills.
0: <laughs>
1: but don't, don't underestimate within that how long how late Oppenheimer is going to actually start
2: at your yeah, first. Screening. Right. I think I'm good. I did all the math when I when I ordered. I also accidentally ordered at two different theaters and then had to. Oh, no! <laughs> like, wait, nope. I got to go to the same theater complex for these two. But uh, I I have the benefit of going as a single, so it was like everything still had one or two. But you're right mm-hmm. that they were starting to look pretty full uh this was last week when i did mine so uh great great for the industry though that everybody's excited and great uh, that it's becoming the weirdest coolest pop culture double feature of all time probably yeah
0: yeah whoever figured out this was like a marketing opportunity is very smart (laughs) and not just like an internet meme (laughs) 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 like um it's not, all right it's
2: not morbius it's actually people going to the movie <laughs> uh,
0: all right so thank you both so much i feel like this was a very thorough and actually i do you know i know we picked apart the pot plot a lot but i actually think for people who have just seen the movie and are listening to us like i'd like to think that we were helpful and i think parsing out like okay what's actually going on here i think is helpful for <laughs> for folks who maybe walked out of there being like, huh, <laughs> that was cool, but what? Um, so so thank you both for doing that. And where, Greg, we'll start with you. Where can people find you on the Internet?
2: I am on the Internet. Uh, so I did uh, take the plunge and joined uh, Threads uh, despite, you know, my apathy, not apathy, my antipathy for uh, that billionaire, but seems to be the less dangerous billionaire at the moment. So uh, I'm on threads uh, as Ion Cannon, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N, or on Instagram, Or uh, ioncannon.com and I uh, am around. Please share your mission love with me. Uh, My Instagram does have pictures of me going to way too many Mission Impossible filming locations and trying to pose like the actors, which is uh, very funny. Because despite my dreams, I am not in the shape of either Tom Cruise or Jeremy Renner or even in one case, Rebecca Ferguson. So,
0: (laughs) And PC, where if people want to follow the long take? review where do they go Uh, yeah
1: they they should go to the long take review on instagram and and also on threads um and they can they can follow me at pt mcniff uh on both of those places as well but you're more likely to see content from the long take review i did take some surreptitious screenshots uh of us recording to put to put up as a as a teaser for uh for the eventual episode
0: and you can find me at Chai on Instagram and threads also. Um, I've been posting a lot about the bear because that's been my TV watching the past couple weeks, catching up on that. Um, what, what episode are you on? I just watched season two, episode six.
1: Hell yeah, you did.
0: It was mind blowing. I, I have a
1: friend who hated it and I, I can't. I, it's <gasps> so funny. It's so funny. It's so good. Um, but that's we could talk off channel.
0: Okay. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah if you haven't watched the bear and you're looking for a tv show to watch it's it, it's very it's very stressful but but so well well done and you can also find me on Letterbox at qui-gon jen and mission accomplished question mark until next time thank you for listening you can follow the long take on substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.